Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. NBC News Special Report. Here's Brian Williams. Well, good day from New York. A momentous day, especially for those Americans old enough to remember the Cold War. The curtain came down between Cuba and the United States in January of 1961. And in just a moment, diplomatic relations, at least the first steps to which, will be uh, reestablished. It is a day of momentous change, fast-moving change. And in a moment, we're going to hear from the president, Chris Jansing, on the White House lawn. Chris, quite a day. Unbelievable. Uh, Fifty years of change. Uh, the first phone call, as you mentioned, between leaders of these two countries uh, since the, the revolution. There's no doubt about it. This is a rapid period of change. And Andrea, sum up uh, what we have just seen take place in the last half hour. It's extraordinary. Which I was two years old when the curtain uh, went up between our two countries. This this spans the scope of our adult lives as Americans. Absolutely. And uh, it's hard to avoid the symbolism of it. This is one of the last vestiges of the Cold War. And uh, the taking down, if you will, of the symbolic walls or substantive walls between the United States and Cuba marks, yet again, the end of that, that, that era of history. At this momentous day between these two nations, uh, something tumbled down that has been in place for half a century. Isn't this Barack Obama's... Uh tear down this wall, Mr. Castro, that kind of a moment? I mean, if, if change can take place with the Soviet Union, yeah. why can't it take place with the Cuban people here? And so there's going well, to be I, American influence. There's going to be American influence, which is the right. best highway to convincing people, as I think, totally different from what we've had over the last 54 years. What do you make of it? That's exactly right. This is this is about the, the things that America uh, will bring to Cuba. I mean, we're, we're so much larger as a country. People are going to be going there on tourism. We're going to see opening up of uh, Internet access. Uh, we've seen over 50 people released uh, or, or going to be released or in the process being released from uh, from uh, Cuban uh, prisons. Uh, this is really an opening up, and I have to say, if anyone thought that President Obama, after the uh, after the election, was going to go into a shell, wow, he has uh, wow. made just huge steps with immigration reform, and now with this, uh, this is this is exciting times. It is, President. Free at last. The American-held prisoner in Havana, whose dramatic release helped thaw a Cold War, a surprise announcement opening relations with Cuba. Now to that historic announcement, the U.S. restoring relations with Cuba, ending the 50-year Cold War, the surprise coming after a year and a half of secret talks involving Pope Francis. ABC's Jim Avila is in Cuba this morning. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Robin. Just how big of a deal is this? Well, soon many more Americans will be able to hop a plane to Havana, take a tour, even legally buy one of those famous cigars. For the first time in 50 years, the presidents of the United States and Cuba speaking simultaneously, confirming the surprise reversal of a long-running U.S. policy of isolating Cuba. Church bells ringing out in celebration in Havana as President Raul Castro told Cubans Esta del Obama. President Obama's decision deserves the respect and recognition of our country. To sit and, and just look at the last 50 years and continue as is when it has been nothing but a failure versus taking a step to open the door to the future 
to liberating 11 million Cubans, to bringing them into the 21st century. How do you argue with that, with the argument that we are giving in to terrorists? It, it is such a flawed argument. This is not ISIS. This is a country 90 miles away. This has been long coming. And aren't you just giving us the typical Republican, I have to say this versus... Well, and, this is, uh, Mario, Democrats also disagree with this too, right? Oh yeah, this is a, there's bipartisan objections to what the president has done. And it's interesting, interesting. I mean, it's a little naive on your part to say that now the Cuban people have been liberated. Excuse me? Liberated? Uh, would you say you tell me, wait a second, wait a second. How can you say that the Cuban people have been liberated when the Cuban people are suffering from great repression, when arrests have doubled in this last year, and the response of the President of the United States is to give concessions after concession? And by the way, there is no secret that the Castro brothers have been asking for what the President has just given them. And what is, is the rest of the world, what is the United States getting, and the Cuban people getting in response for these concessions? Frankly, very little. Look, again, you might believe that the Cuban people have been liberated, but then no, you I are believe it's certainly a major step in that direction versus putting our head in the sand and continue uh, with clearly what has not worked over the last five decades. Uh, to you say know, I, that we're I, not walking in that direction is naive on your part, Congressman. I, I like how now you're changing your tune. So now you're saying that they have not been liberated. At least I like the fact that you're correcting yourself. No, I'm not telling you this. Why are you saying anything like that? I said it is a move towards liberating the people of Cuba versus staying where we were. Is that is that not correct? Is this going in the opposite direction? Are we this putting them under more oppression by doing right, this? This is not liberating the people of Cuba. This is giving concessions to the Castro regime that the Castro regime has been asking for. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 15th of June, year of our Lord, 2018. We're doing this a couple days early because the wife is taking a staycation. Staycations are never good because that means I have to work, do yard work and shit. Ugh. Anyway, and that was our media when Cuba went down. As you can see, they loved it. And this podcast is chock full of some good stuff today. We're going to go over a little North Korea. And we have a segment, which for those that were with us, Oh, so long ago. We used to do an intro, and, and it wasn't as long as it is now. We have the Fire for Effect statement where we're going over stuff that you we've already covered. <clears throat> we just had tweets, hate tweets, hypocrisy, and stats. And now, because of that Fire for Effect segment where we're going over so much stuff over previous subjects, we didn't need a subject. But today we do. And we'll find out what it is in a few seconds. But... I wanted to read an article up front of if it had been Obama who met with Kim Jong-un, media would have celebrated, because <clears throat> it's true. Just hours after President Trump had concluded his historic summit with Kim Jong-un, the consensus from the mainstream media was that the whole event was a big nothing burger. Trump won no hard concessions, the MSM said. Nothing concrete on denuclearization, on human rights violation. In fact, said the talking heads of political pundits, the things Kim pledged to undertake in a multi-point agreement signed by both leaders have all been agreed to before. What's more, said the MSM, Trump had just legitimized Kim and denied him to meet with him, elevating his status, that of a world leader. He had also denigrated the legacy of all the men and women in the armed forces had lost their lives battling North Korean scourge, said liberals. And there was a familiar talking point that Trump, fresh operating Canada for unfair trade practices, was making enemies of friends and friends of enemies. But not so very long ago, the media went gaga over another president's declaration that he'd speak with any rogue leader, anytime, anywhere on the globe. 
That's right. Then Senator Barack Obama, who was running for president in 2007, said he'd have no problem meeting with leaders of Iran, Venezuela, Syria, or Cuba, or even North Korea. In a presidential debate, Obama was asked by a questioner via YouTube if he would be willing to meet with preconditions in the first year of presidency with any of those leaders. He said, I would. It is a disgrace that we have not spoken to them, Obama said then. The notion that somehow not talking to countries is punishment to them, which has been the guiding diplomatic principle of this administration, is ridiculous. Just months before then, Hillary Clinton had supported the idea. You don't refuse to talk to bad people. I think life is filled with uncomfortable situations. We have to deal with people you might not like. I'm sort of an expert on that. I have consistently urged the president to talk to Iran and talk to Syria. I think it's a sign of strength, not weaknesses. But, of course, Clinton flipped on the subject during the 2007 debate with Obama, saying, I don't want to be used for propaganda purposes. To be fair, some Republicans objected to Obama's declaration he talked with leaders and enemy nations. His then-opponent, McCain, ripped the senator for being the dangerous consequences of a naive pro- approach to presidential summits based entirely on emotion. Still, the media praised Obama's forward-thinking attitude. And when Obama made a trip to Cuba, the first sitting U.S. president to visit the communist island since 1928, the mainstream media loved it. But not so for Trump's effort. House Minority Leader Pelosi sprouted the left's talking point Hated everything about Trump's summit with Kim. Nuclear nonproliferation is a pill of America's nuclear national security. We respect any serious and real diplomatic effort to achieve the goal on Korean Peninsula. Apparently, the president handed Kim Jong-un concessions in exchange for vague promises. In his haste to reach an agreement, President Trump elevated North Korea to level the United States while preserving the regime's, regime's status quo. The millions of families currently living in fear of nuclear weapons in the region deserve strong and smart leadership built on diplomacy and engagement with our regional partners and allies. Shortly after the summit, Wendy Sherman, who had been a senior State Department official in the Obama administration, said on MSDNC that Trump should not have treated Kim as an equal, again parenting the talking point all over the MSM on Tuesday. <clears throat> I was a little taken back by the North Korean flags and the American flags side by side, she said. We really aren't side by side. We aren't equals to each other. And this conferred power to Kim Jong-un that I don't believe he has yet earned in term of respect from the United States. That's the view of liberals across America right now. Trump's a buffoon who's given away America. But if Obama had done it, as he pledged, even if in the end he didn't, they'd have applauded. Same as it ever was. Hmm. The American people didn't really agree, though. By TV, this program dominated all of TV during the North Korean summit. The summit between President Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un was one of the most anticipated events of the year, and it showed in the television rating. Fox News, Sean Hannity dominated all television, not just cable, during the historic event. Fox News coverage of the historic meeting between the two leaders topped cable news, earning the top ranking in both total day and prime time for total viewers, as well as the coveted 25 to 54 demographic. The highest rated of Fox News coverage was Hannity program, which dominated all of television with 5.9 million total viewers beating out all the broadcast, primetime, and all the cable. FNC's Hannity, 5.0 million, P2, plus 1.486 million, A25 to 54, beat ABC's The Bachelorette. It beat Mom. Fox News blew out CNN and MSDNC. 
combined in both primetime and total day. For total day, Fox News had 2,070,000 P2, 466. CNN only had 860. And MSDNC only had 1 million viewers. All day. <clears throat> all day. Yeah. And to further beleaguer the point, Chris Saliga, Saliza on North Korea, Donald Trump is faking it like until he makes it. Like he always does about everything. The entire world tweeted Chris Saliza. Let me say for the billionth time, reporters don't side, root for a side, period. Hmm. Seems you were. And of course, our subject today is the OIG report. And there's so much information. I put some up here. Just to, I, I'm just going to read you one of the exchanges. One of the exchanges. And, and this is no surprise to me. This is what the investigation wants. This is how the elites in Washington think about you. And you being a person like me who, who voted for Trump to vote against Hillary. Anybody who voted for, anybody in the middle of the country, this is what they think. On September 9th, 2016, Agent 1 and Agent 5 had an exchange. Agent 5. I'm trying to think of what I'd rather instead of spending time with those people. Agent 1, stick your tongue in a fan, Agent 5. I would rather have brunch with Trump, Agent 1. Ha! French toast with Drumpf. These are FBI agents. Drumpf. Agent 5, I would rather have brunch with Trump and a bunch of of his supporters like the ones from Ohio that are retarded. Agent 5 smiles. Hmm. Eric Hartman, new text from IG report shows FBI agents calling Trump supporters retarded. Katie Pavlich, no bias at the FBI or something. This exchange is nuts. Here's another one. <clears throat> employee two and employee. That's what they labeled it. I am numb. I can't stop crying, the other one says. That makes me even more sad, the other one says. Like, what happened? You promised me this wouldn't happen. You promised. Okay, that might have been a lie. I'm very upset. Ha ha. I'm so stressed about what I could have done differently. Don't stress. None of that mattered. The FBI influence? I don't know. We broke the momentum. That is not so. And the last one sums up once again why I don't vote for Democrats. Ever. All the people who were initially voting for her wouldn't and were not swayed by any decision the FBI put out. Trump supporters are all poor to middle class, uneducated, lazy pieces of shit that think he will magically grant them jobs for doing nothing. They probably didn't watch the debates, aren't fully educated on his policies, and are stupidly wrapped up in his unmerited enthusiasm. Somebody surmised it. Liberals won't be shocked by this. They will concur or feel relieved that good people have their backs deep inside the government. They'll see these lovebirds as caped heroes. Joe B. Pollock, FBI official bloasting that he has the ability to prevent a candidate from becoming president. There's more to know about whether he tried. And we'll learn more in the IG segment. Evan McMullins, the reason why he didn't get elected. No one should be least bit surprised that the FBI agent would want to bring to justice someone who's openly collaborating with Russian intelligence in order to capture the American presidency. There could hardly be 
a more important mission for the FBI. Trying to justify all the shit we're going to read. This whole thing sums up what's wrong with Washington. And if you really want to know why Trump won, it's because of this type of elitism that just ripe on our media, ripe in Washington, the Nancy Pelosi's that have been there forever that are millionaires. It's just unbelievable. Me and my wife were reading this last night as I was putting the podcast together and just going, sweet Jesus, it's broke. It's fucking broke. But, alas, we'll wait for the segment to talk more about it. Let's fire for effect. For Kim Jong-un, this is already a victory because he wants legitimacy. He wants a place on the international stage. He wants to be recognized as an equal by the President of the United States. He wants to be seen as a nuclear power, and he's achieving all that. This is a tremendous propaganda victory for him. Now, Scott just suggested it was a huge victory for Donald Trump simply to come to the summit. Well, you know, I beg to differ because, in fact, any previous president could have easily had a summit with any previous leader of North Korea because they've all been very eager to be legitimated by the president of the United States, and Donald Trump is the first one uh, to agree to do that. Well, I mean, this was just a fiasco at the G7. I've never seen anything like this, and the contrast is all the greater when we see the way that uh, Donald Trump is glad-handing Kim Jong-un, who is the enslaver of his people, somebody who keeps more than 100,000 people in slave labor camps, and he's talking about how honored he is to meet him and how what a great relationship they have and how they're going to get along great. And on the other hand, his aides are saying that Justin Trudeau the prime minister of our closest ally and neighbor, Canada, he's going to rot in hell. I mean, that is a, a striking contrast in the difference between the way that Donald Trump approaches dictators and Democrats. This is just very destructive of the American position in the world and whatever. And in fact, this may ultimately turn out to be more significant than whatever happens here with Kim Jong-un. Uh, we'll see what happens. But the fact that Donald Trump is undermining the unity of the Western alliance, which has been the underpinning of American peace and prosperity since 1945, I think is a calamitous development. Just because something hasn't happened before doesn't mean it's historic. That's one thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I think when you call something historic, it means that it has a good chance of having lasting implications. And I think it's very unclear, at least to my layman's eye, that this does that. The ink now dry, with Thank great fanfare, much. Kim Jong-un committing to the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. But will he deliver? The president suggesting it comes down to trust. I believe he's going to live up to that argument. In fact, when he lands, which is going to be shortly, I think that he will start that process right away. How can the U.S. be sure? A key missing ingredient, no requirement that Kim Jong-un disclose how many weapons he has or where they are hidden. But apparently, no one told the South Koreans President Trump promised Chairman Kim he'd scrap them. 
A South Korean military official told NBC News, we need to find out the exact meaning or intention behind his comments. American forces in South Korea said they too received no updated guidance on execution or cessation of training exercises. NBC's Hallie Jackson has more on what wasn't said at this historic face-to-face. In Singapore, smiles and a stroll from Kim Jong-un. But back home, a U.N. report paints a much more grim picture, one of extermination, murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, rape, crimes against humanity. His country does love him, his people. You see the fervor, they have a great fervor. But what he calls fervor, the U.N. calls indoctrination, another in the long and disturbing list of human rights abuses Kim's accused of. It was discussed. It was discussed relatively briefly compared to denuclearization. Well, obviously, that's where we started and where we ended. President Trump didn't dwell on the negative, instead repeatedly pointing to the positive. Anyway, for Trump, the Singapore summit was an opportunity to make history, but for the North Korean leader, it was a public relations success, cementing his Trump-backed legitimacy in the world stage. Why the praises? I can see we got along okay. We all talk about political communication like that when constructive talks, you know, the language. He's coming out like a kiss butt. It's, out, it's outrageous. It's outrageous the way he talks. This guy's a killer. I only see two plausible explanations. One, I think, is the more likely is that Trump is jealous of this people. It's a natural Bullies. proclivity towards rough Pirates. guys, and he 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 thinks that's respectable. He wants I, to ride around the horse with his shirt off like Putin. Is that <laughs> what he wants to do? Uh, I think the other possibility here is that look, Donald Trump's a salesman, right? He's yeah. trying to get this butter him up and say, look, what does it take to get you in this timeshare today? The video he showed was like a timeshare video, right? So what do I do to get you to sign on this line? If he wins, if he gets the guy to sign and actually follow through, it's a well, great. Okay, you're it's petty. Uh, the, this is the president of the United States. We're the most powerful country in the world, and we're treating our friends, the, the countries that have fought and died with us to preserve liberty, and we're treating them like an extortion racket. It's, it's, it's horrific. Well, look at his friends he's made. Erdogan in Turkey. Yeah, Trump, Trump yeah. doesn't date. Vladimir Putin. He likes to play. And he around. does like anybody who's been elected. Yeah. Max, let's put, because I have some other dictators that he's had nice words for. Let's put that on hold for a second, okay? And, and talk about what Scott said. That, you know, we're, we're, at least we're off the brink of a nuclear war. Well, wasn't that the president's rhetoric in the first place that put us in that? And if you, and all you have to do, I, I'm wondering here, did you need to have this summit in order to get what these two people got, this short little letter that basically said, and this is a key, I don't know if anyone else has noticed that, it's number three, the whole crux of this. It says, reaffirming the April 27, 2018 Panmunjom Declaration, the DPRK commits to work toward complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Well, that was decided back in April, and that's what they had been working for all along. So do they need to do this, Max? No, I mean, I think you're exactly right, Don, that a lot of the reason why we were on the brink of nuclear war last year, I mean, part of it, to be sure, was because of the North Korean nuclear test and their missile test, but also because of the reckless and irresponsible rhetoric from Donald Trump ratcheting up uh, the, the tensions. And so now this is kind of the arsonist getting credit for putting out the fire. Uh, but what's striking to me about the summit is how little Donald Trump got in return for legitimating Kim Jong-un on the world stage, for treating this leader of this two-bit dictatorship as the equal of the president of the United States, uh, for suspending 
uh, U.S.-South Korea joint military exercises, which is a huge concession to the North in describing those exercises as provocative war games, which is adopting the language of, of Northern propaganda mm -hmm. for describing Kim Jong-un as this very talented, smart, funny guy. I mean, it sounded like, you know, Donald Trump wanted to invite Kim to the prom, and in return for all of that, mm -hmm. what does he get? Nothing except the empty blather that you just quoted about working towards the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, which is what the North Koreans have been saying since 1992. Yeah. I mean, I can say that I'm working towards beating Roger Federer at Wimbledon. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's actually ever going to happen. Seven billion people inhabit planet Earth. Of those alive today, only a small number will leave a lasting impact. And only the very few will make decisions or take actions that renew their homeland and change the course of history. History may appear to repeat itself for generations. Cycles that never seem to end. There have been times of relative peace and times of great tension. While this cycle repeats, the light of prosperity and innovation has burned bright for most of the world. History is always evolving. And there comes a time when only a few are called upon to make a difference. But the question is, what difference will the few make? The past doesn't have to be the future. Out of the darkness can come the light. And the light of hope can burn bright. What if a people that share a common and rich heritage can find a common future? Their story is well known. But what will be their sequel? Destiny Pictures presents A Story of Opportunity. A new story, a new beginning. One of peace, two men, two leaders, one destiny. A story about a special moment in time when a man is presented with one chance that may never be repeated. What will he choose? To show vision and leadership? Or not? There can only be two results. One of moving back. One of moving forward. A new world can begin today. One of friendship, respect, and goodwill. Be part of that world where the doors of opportunity are ready to be opened investment from around the world where you can have medical breakthroughs an abundance of resources innovative technology and new discoveries what if can history be changed will the world embrace this change and when could this moment in history begin it comes down to a choice on this day in this time at this moment the world will be watching listening anticipating hoping will this leader choose to advance his country and be part of a new world be the hero 
of his people? Will he shake the hand of peace and enjoy prosperity like he has never seen? A great life or more isolation? Which path will be chosen? Featuring President Donald Trump and Chairman Kim Jong-un in a meeting to remake history, to shine in the sun. One moment, one choice. What if? The future remains to be written. Trump claims he got North Korea to commit to destroying a major missile testing site, but, and this is a quote, he said, we didn't put it in the agreement because we didn't have time. Usually when Trump signs an agreement with a foreigner, it's a prenup, and those are all in writing. But this is a different... Look, here's... I don't know what the real backstory is, but I know the whole thing. Here's how the whole thing went. Here's how it goes. Trump wanted to make it look like he did something big, whether he did something big or not. He was not leaving the summit without claiming he made a deal. So he sets the meeting. He has the sit down. He hears what he wants to hear, blah, blah, blah. As soon as the meeting's over, he runs out, calls a press conference, declares victory. Everyone goes home. Kim Jong-un does nothing differently at all. And we go back to our lives, too. In fact, the only thing we know they signed was a declaration of friendship. For real. <laughs> there they are. It's like they're signing each other's yearbooks before they leave for summer break. And then Trump holds it up to show. This declaration of friendship, it was especially awkward for the waiter who had to come over to inform Trump that he'd inadvertently signed the dessert menu. Last night, or yesterday, history was made in Singapore when North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and the guy in the White House signed a very broad pledge to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. It's uh, a little bit short on details, but is this a step in the right direction? Can we take Kim Jong-un at his word, and can we take the guy in the White House at his word? Because both words sometimes are fluid. There's two schools of thought on this. A few months ago, we were all sort of living in fear of nuclear war between the United States and North Korea. And I was a proponent of taking the meeting because I'm always a proponent of going and meeting with your adversaries. Um, The deal, as you said... (laughs) Touche, <laughs> Joy. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. So what I was going to say is that when the deal came out, it's very nebulous. It's just all about denuclearization, which, by the way, that has happened in 1985, 1992, yeah. 1994, 2005, and 2012. I was also, I had a really big problem. You guys know how I feel about the flag. With the American flag and the North Korean flag sit next to each other as the backdrop, we are not the same. And we were talking about this yesterday with Russia. This is a totalitarian communist dictator, dictator, excuse me, in the same vein as Hitler, who, by the way, among all murder, enslavement, torture, imprisonment, sexual violence, starvation, forced abortions, political, racial, religious persecution, it is a completely and utterly the closest thing to Hitler's Germany that exists in modern times. So my problem was how far it went with the, like, sort of buddy-buddy, and there was no talk whatsoever of the human rights violations going on in that country. I agree with Megan in the sense that I, I thought, you know, a meeting is appropriate, although a meeting without any preconditions and, and much preparation I thought was inappropriate. And what bothered me the most was that earlier last week, Trump said 
he didn't have to prepare very much for the meeting because it was all about attitude. Well, it's not all about attitude. We're talking about nuclear diplomacy, and I think that it's very complicated, and I think it requires a tremendous amount of preparation for it. And we know that Kim Jong-un has been in power since 2011, and he's very prepared. And so I so felt is, that our is, country wasn't as prepared as it should be. But isn't this really just a first date? I mean, they're just, well, you know, they're just meeting and then they'll do more and then they'll do more and hopefully it'll well, get it there. Well, well, when the president shows up, it's supposed to be more of like the big kahuna. You yeah. This think. was like the beginning of maybe some rollout. I'm cautiously we, optimistic. We can't undersell how historic it is. It though, was very just even sure. getting him to the table as I mean, I never thought I would see this in my lifetime whatsoever. So I will always I give Trump credit for this. It's just that it was the well, they've got great. We can put real estate in North Korea. It's like oh, yeah. people are being starved and tortured and yeah. raped and yeah. killed by, you know, machine gun outlets and start and being eaten by wild dogs. This isn't the type of you don't even have Internet access. How are you supposed to have this was tricky to walk in line because he was advised not to take on the human rights issues and the denuclearization because they said you might be pushing him, uh, Kim Jong-un, too far to, to agree yeah. to anything. Mm -hmm. But I do think they went too far with the symbolism because it did look buddy-buddy. Well, the buddy. There's a more was, measured language. The movie language. was a little much. I've, I found oh, yeah. the movie the a little movie. bit much. You know, they yeah. <laughs> Before, uh. It was a trailer. Yes, it was a trailer for the world as it could be. I think that was how they sort of put it together. But you know, take a look. Destiny Pictures presents a story of opportunity. A new story. A new beginning. One of peace. Two men. Two leaders. One destiny. A story about a special moment in time when a man is presented with one chance that may never be repeated. What will he choose? To show vision and leadership? Or not? It's just, and so I mean... the other thing was, you know, as you read the, the list of times that this conversation has come up, yes. so it's not that people haven't been trying, you yes. know, because when I listened, and I, I actually listened to a lot of it, uh, when he was saying, you know, no one's done this, you know, and I, I can't just say Obama, it's nobody's had it. To, and it's like, no, dude, everybody's tried to everyone do this. And everyone has said, listen, we tried to do this. They stepped away from the table. They said, we're not going to do it. So no that's why I asked the question, you know. Nobody had the meeting, though. I mean, but that also, is the historic he, Donald Trump said, if I'm wrong, I will admit it. Yeah, right. When pigs but, fly. Well, doesn't when did he ever admit that he was wrong? Madeline Albright came on our show and talked about her meeting with, uh, with, uh, Kim Jong-un's father and she said a lot of promises were made and while she was there they were enriching their uranium at the same time mm -hmm. so to believe that Kim Jong-un is going to give away his nuclear ar arsenal which really gives him the power I think we we went too far and I uh, perhaps nothing giving really him validity. Yet. No, so we haven't given him validity. We haven't gone too far because nothing's happened well, yet. That's well, I think we went too far the by meeting with him. With so now, now we went too far by even meeting with him. I think with you just said the credibility. I think the president meeting with him without any preconditions. Um, certainly gave him the credibility that he that he but it wanted. But could have gone worse, <laughs> and that the, perhaps was the, this meeting could far. have been more clear and could have gone better. It the fear was that it would go w worse. Like there would be, it would end in defiance, and you know, even though this was symbolism and handshaking, Megan, what you're saying. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank oh. you. We'll be right. <laughs> back. That of course is a lot of Nassica teeth. But the following is the most petty shit I have ever heard. On a news network. It is CNN bitching about the menu. And Lemon 
and company on CNN actually sounding upset that we're no longer on the brink of nuclear war. I, I enjoyed hearing uh, the list of the menu items. What I'm really hungry for is some substance here mm-hmm. because uh, the glitz is great, but this is like having ice cream uh, before you get the, the main meal. I want, I want something nourishing here, and, and, and Kim Jong-un has to deliver denuclearization in a, in a, in a verifiable and irreversible manner as Trump and Pompeo and others have demanded. And, you know, maybe we're going to be surprised, but there are no indications whatsoever leading up to the summit that he would, in fact, do this. And, in fact, there's been a downsizing of the expectations from everybody concerned. Yeah. Well said. Sam, you're shaking your head. You agree. You want to see some substances. I do, but I want to bring it back to the menu for a second, not just because I'm hungry, (laughs) but because typically the White House releases these kinds of details after, for example, the French president comes to the White House or another head of state comes for a state visit. So by releasing the details of the menu, this is, again, legitimizing Kim Jong-un and putting him on equal footing with other world leaders, which is what he wants. And I really want to stress here that this working lunch is perfunctory at this juncture. If Sarah Sanders is in the room, if we have the press secretary there, they're not diving into the kind of classified details that are going to lead to the substance that Max is referencing. That, you know, we're, all, we're at least we're off the brink of a nuclear war. Well, wasn't that the president's rhetoric in the first said put us in that? And if you and all you have to do, I'm wondering here, did you need to have this summit in order to get what these two people got, this short little letter that basically said, and this is a key, I don't know if anyone else has noticed that, it's number three, the whole crowd of this. It says, reaffirming the April 27, 2018 Panmunjom Declaration, the DPRK commits to work toward complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Well, that was decided back in April, and that's what they had been working for all along. So do they need to do this, Max? No, I mean, I think you're exactly right, Don, that a lot of the reason why we were on the brink of nuclear war last year, I mean, part of it, to be sure, was the North Korean nuclear test and their missile test, but also because of the reckless and irresponsible rhetoric from Don Up ratcheting up uh, the, the tents. And so now this is kind of the arsonist getting credit for putting a fire. Uh, but what's striking to me about Summit is how little Donald Trump got in return for legitimate it's fucking unbelievable. I mean, I've said all along they root for failure. We showed in the last podcast they're rooting for a recession. Anything to make Trump look bad. And I remember the media saying when McConnell just said our job is to get him out of office. That was so un-American back then. But if you really correlate what Democrats have done over the last two presidents... They have obstructed everything, but not been called obstructionists. For fuck's sake, during the Bush years, they were stopping funding for a war and calling American soldiers war criminals. And that's why I was so destroyed when Obama got elected, because that guy was an anti-war guy, and we were in a war. And then he went out and started more wars, which has still never been pinned on him. But anyway... Using Rachel Maddow's own example with Trump, Glenn Greenwald shows that Barack Obama is the real Putin puppet, which I thought was a really interesting byline. The segment has to be seen to be believed. MSDNC entitled its Trump military exercise giveaway to North Korea suits Putin's goals. The unbridled militarism and jingoism is suppressed only by the crazed conspiratorial mind. It shouldn't have been done on a blackboard. But what's funny is that her own guests didn't even buy it. Eugene Robinson and Ian Bremmer said that the summit was good news because it reduced global tensions. Beyond the fact that she treats her audience like eight-year-olds, repeating the same banal points five times in increasing dramatic fashion, 
to make sure they retain it and be- believing it it's earth-shattering. She's now the most militaristic and the most conspiratorial commentator on TV. Fortunately for viewers, they got some reality from Eugene Robinson, who upset the MSDNC panel by explaining that this summit reduced global dangers, and from Ian Bremmer, who explained the same and was quickly dismissed. Marlo Stern. I think she was referencing the Wall Street Journal piece for five months ago that reported Putin suggested halting the military exercise to Trump. Greenwald. The fact that Putin wants something doesn't mean he's the puppet master that makes it happen. Billions of people in the world and their governments want an end to North Korean war, U.S. militarism in the region, and the dangerous isolation of North Korea. Not just big bad Putin. She then goes back. I think it's newsworthy that the Wall Street Journal, a right-wing publication, reported that Putin suggested the idea. Putin also favored a deal with Iran. Do you think that means that perhaps Obama was controlled by Putin? He asked. Putin also wanted Obama to refrain from bombing Assad and refrain from sending lethal arms to Ukraine. And Obama did both of those, too. It's newsworthy, she keeps saying. I, they will go with anything they want. And the worst part of the week for liberals, Jennifer Griffin... Two Norwegian lawmakers have nominated President Donald Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize after the Singapore summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, Christian Tybring Gijed, and Per Willy Amundsen nominated him. Jaina Melvin, oh Lord, prepare for social media explosion on both sides of the aisle. Three, two, one. I'm not going to do it because we have a lot today. There was a lot of angst. Fox News, David Bossie. Barack Obama was handed the Nobel Peace Prize for having done exactly nothing. This president doesn't care about those things. This president cares about results and securing America's future. He cares. That's not true. But nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Which takes us to our next story, chicken fuckers. My God, we just covered a tweet about Jack from Twitter And it's huge now. The left declares war on homophobic chicken sandwiches. HuffPost. If you support LGBT people, you can't eat chicken fucker. Tuesday afternoon, the Huffington Post published an anti-article calling the LGBT community and its allies to boycott Chick-fil-A. The author of the piece, Noah Michelson, could not fathom how someone could eat such delicious chicken and not consider the consequences of their action. People are going to be disturbingly indignant and defiant when faced with giving up their beloved chicken sandwiches, he, he wrote. If you care about queer people, you just yourself are queer. You have absolutely no business eating at chicken, Chick-fil-A ever. It's r- really that straightforward. Michelson's main gripe with the immense profitable restaurant chain and that their charitable donations are going to anti-LGBT causes. These causes include the Salvation Army, the Paul Anderson Youth Home, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, apparently real bastions of anti-LGBT activism. Nicholson continued his tirade. Yeah, I know, I know. It sucks that we ha- can't have waffle fries. But you know what sucks even more? Not having equal rights and contributing to the profits of a company that wants to ensure you never do because it believes your fundamental disorder or unnatural or sinful or some delightful combination of all three. Several people took to Twitter to call out the article, including members of the LGBT community that Mickelson claimed to represent. David Rubin, renowned comedian and married gay man, isn't planning to change his diet. His tweet. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm married to a dude. And I eat chicken sandwiches whenever I want. 
He took a picture in front of Chicken Filet. Finally, gay patriots suggest that Trump create a new national holiday. Trump should declare a national Chick-fil-A day. <laughs> so the full article is him talking about the 80s and how he was hungry and there's just no way you should eat here. I vowed to never let anyone make me feel like I was less than them simply because I lusted after an unloved other men. So you can imagine how upsetting it was for me for Chick-fil-A president Dan Cathy proudly came out as a homophobe. We are inviting God's judgment on our nation when we shake our fist at him, he says. We know better than you as to what constitutes a marriage. And I pray God's mercy on our generation that has been such prideful, arrogant attitude to think we have the audacity to define what marriage is even, is even about. It's not even what he said. Even worse, the company put its money where Kathy's vile mouth was by donating millions of dollars each year to anti-LGBTQ organizations. Via its wind-shaped non-profit organization. There's no proof that these are anti-gay. These are Christian organizations. It doesn't mean they're anti-gay. Later on in the article, if you care about queer people or yourself a queer, you have absolutely no business eating Chick-fil-A. It's really that straightforward. Then he dogs Jack Dorsey. This is like a five-page length piece of just craziness. But that wasn't it for HuffPo. It's time to choose where your loyalty lies, with the queer community or with your stomach. The gist of this piece was that anyone who patronized Chick-fil-A is enabling hate and queerphobia. Unfortunately, it's a different author, and it goes on and on. They have pictures. Uh, opinion, if you really love LGBT people, you just can't keep eating Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A opens on Sunday to give free food to Orlando shooting blood donors. Chick-fil-A... Helps out Atlanta. California Chick-fil-A offers free meals to gay marriage supporters. That was actually in their pleas, but they never even talked about it. Check Cannon ass. Same Chick-fil-A? The very same. The weird part is that Mickelson never acknowledges some of Chick-fil-A's charitable work in this piece. Am I saying Chick-fil-A and anyone who works for it is evil? Of course not. The corporation has done a lot of good and even donated food to volunteers giving blood in the wake of the Pulse nightclub. This is a different article they did. Though, ironically, most gay men weren't allowed to participate in that charitable effort. But none of this generosity changes the fact that the chain has taken and continued to take anti-queer stance and still donates large sums of money to anti-queer groups that he can't even prove. You can't prove it. They were all in on the Chick-fil-A. And if we remember, this is what the sanctuary cities are doing. Like de Blasio didn't want it in there. He was pissed that it got in there. It's a fucking organization. It's a Christian organization. And the way I look at it, you're more prejudiced against them than they are prejudiced against you. The guy was asked about gay marriage. He gave an opinion. That's all he did. And by the way, his sales went up because most of the country supported his free speech right. Moving on to immigration. Ryan Saavedra. Nancy Pelosi's extreme rhetoric. I just don't even know why they aren't there aren't uprisings all over the country. That's what she said over the floated pictures that keep keep coming out that have nothing to do with Trump and everything to do with Obama. Kurt Schilster, her position, no higher taxes, more unemployment, no peace. <laughs> And it's MSNBC's stance, too, because they sent a reporter down there, Jacob Saboroff, 
who went down to see it trying to find something. And what did he find? And I'm part of a first group of journalists to go into the shelters with detained children, migrants in Brownsville, Texas, since the zero tolerance separation policy was now thousand boys here. More tonight with Chris Hayes. Okay, this is weird. Just finished her. Don't even know where to start. One of the first things you notice when you walk in the shelter, no joke, a mural of Trump with the quote, sometimes losing a battle, you find a new way to win the war. Presidential murals everywhere, but there's one is in, in is first. There are a lot of kids there. This shelter, Casa Padre, is the largest licensed child care facility of its kind in the country. Nearly 1,500 boys, 10 to 17 in there now. They're supposed to sleep four to a room. Nearly every room has five. They received a variance from the state because of the overcrowding. No gang members, though. Officially, officials here said they never had an MS-13 member here because they go to jail. Thank you very much. So Borov was told that kids feel like they're animals in cages when the media Media looks at them, so smile. Moments after we walked to the shelter, employees asked us to smile at hundreds of detained migrant kids in a line for meals because they feel like animals in a cage being looked at. Kids here got only two hours a day to be outside in fresh air, one hour of structure time, one hour of free time. The rest of the day is spent inside a former Walmart. This isn't so shocking, actually. Why should the media get free reign to tour a facility with children? Instructions to employ in the lobby of shelter if you encounter media. Immediately notify the PD, or the police department. Call the shelter communications director. In that order. For the record, nobody called the cops on us. We were invited by HHS and the shelter management of the facility. It's doing a good job and professional. This mega shelter is run by a trained staff, a non-profit. I believe the workers looking after these kids who said she'd like to see a day when they don't have to do this, but things aren't moving, are moving in the wrong direction. Capacity is 1497 and tonight 1469 boys will sleep here. Now for the kicker. There are no cells or cages like the ones we saw during the Obama administration, but they are forced to watch Mona. What is this, Kitmo? Called the UN. <laughs> Inside a federal prison in county jails, this place is called a shelter, but these kids are incarcerated. No cells, no cages, and they get to go to classes about American history and watch Mona, but they're in custody. Something I just told Chris Hayes, this place is a licensed child care facility with trained staff. There are 26 operated by the same nonprofit, Southwest Kentucky. Its president told me that potential new tent cities that will be on federal property don't have to be licensed. Now for the pictures of what looks like pretty nice conditions. Starting to get some handout photos with our tours of HHS.gov. Here's the Trump mural I mentioned to Chris Hayes. This is the shelter for incarcerated children immigrants. Also their beds and towels they shower with. And the photos are of a nice facility. Better than a lot of Americans. And they felt cheated. You could tell. They were upset. They didn't get you the gotcha moment. Fake news and fake snubs. Fact check is Jose Vargas spread staged cage kid photo. That went out this week. Still trying to find a source for this photo. Saw it on Facebook friends timeline, but looking for a confirmation. Has anyone seen it elsewhere? That one out. The whole world lost it. It was staged by an anti-immigration group. They just want everybody to come in, open borders. Actual article, does this image show a toddler in a cage detained by ICE in 2018? No. Then there was photos of rosaries collected at the border during the Obama years. Steve Silberman, rosaries confiscated from immigrants on Arizona-Mexico border. Remind you of anything Daryl Hay says? Another one, 
Sherry Tarallo. The Trump administration has declared moral bankruptcy a long time ago, but here's an image of it. Another one. This is or should be a really powerful image for most people that speak to the fact many immigrants are Christian, not dangerous criminals. But Trump evangelists don't see it that way for a very simple reason. They don't consider Roman Catholics to be real Christians. Another one. This is right-wing morality. This is freedom of religion. Natalie Concharovo. It's of Obama's time. So just this week, two more floated pictures of Obama's time trying to pin it on Trump. It's what they do. Liberals don't research anything. They're fucking sheep. And whatever Twitter tells them, they roll with it. Just like Page in Oregon with one Facebook post, a meme, a joke. She sees it and she loses it because it was anti or was transphobic. They're just creatures of emotion. They don't think for themselves. They just think dogma. Dogma. How do I know? Gun control. Inuit. Intuit, I'm sorry. Suddenly stops processing credit card payments. Here's the problem. I have a whole bunch of articles. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to tell you the truth. This is small business. So what's going to happen is all these small businesses that use Intuit to be their credit card credit card processor now can't use credit cards. And this is Operation Choke Point. This is no different than gay marriage. This is what the left does. Because the American people are against what they believe, which is that we have to confiscate all weapons and nobody has weapons anymore, they go a different route and they go out to the financial institutions. We covered on the show. Bomb administration went over bin banks, don't loan money to gun manufacturers. Now, the Everytown and the Alyssa Milano freaks, they have gone after small businesses. And now because Intuit and Citibank won't process credit cards, small business gun stores have to go find a different processor to process their shit. They're going to go through PayPal or something so you can go in and buy a gun. They can't legislate what they want, but they find a way to do it anyway. That's anti-American like a motherfucker. But this next soundbite sums up the left. They don't understand guns. They don't understand the need for guns. Even though we'll see queer organizations, as they call themselves, queer organizations, they understand the need for guns. This is what an actual Colorado Democrat congressional hopeful, Levi Tillman, says. Do this. You don't need guns. Just take pepper spray. In just a few years, he'll be in school, and Donald Trump wants to give his teacher a gun? More students have been killed in school shootings in 2018 than U.S. troops in combat operations. We need common sense gun control, but that's not enough. There are 310 million guns in the U.S. and millions of assault-style weapons. I'm Levi Tillman. Washington needs more doers and innovators. That's why I'm running for U.S. Congress. I'm calling on Congress to stop talking past each other and try something new. Empower schools and teachers with non-lethal self-defense tools like this can of pepper spray. Pepper spray doesn't cost much. 
and it can be safely stored in a break glass in case of emergency cabinet. But it's powerful and won't accidentally kill a kid. Trust me, this will stop anyone in their tracks. It's incredibly painful, and now I just can't see anything. Wow, that's intense. For less than $1 per person in the U.S., we can have a secured canister of pepper spray in every classroom in America. It's just unbearable. It's like lava in your eyes. I'll go to the map for our kids and community, not Washington insiders and corporations. I still can barely see anything. I just see light. I see white. I see the outline of the tree vaguely. Oh my god. Talk is cheap. Washington needs doers. It needs leaders to break through the partisan gridlock and build a better future. That starts with making our schools safe again. Fucking moron. Spraying himself. That's what he was doing. Yeah. I'm sure pepper spray beats a knife and a gun. Okay. Positive news, though. Judge Block's Illinois assault weapons ban that we covered. Deerfield, Illinois, said it was wrong. Can't do it. So what happens? Alyssa Milano floats a new NRA conspiracy theory. Uh... Has been on a roll lately, cranking out tweets promoting various orthodox Hollywood positions on all of the hot button issues, including gun rights, gender equality, lead paint, and bloodletting. Hot on the heels of internet-shaking comments of the Equal Rights Amendment, Paul Ryan's disparaging view of women and why women aren't protected by the 14th Amendment, Milano tweeted out a creative new conspiracy theory in the National Rifle Association. It turns out that the NRA once gave a courage award to wait for it. Ajit Pai, the man responsible for repealing net neutrality. And she went off. All her people lost their fucking minds because net neutrality and guns somehow are linked because it's intersectionality and all. And that went on for days. Somebody did tweet her. Net neutrality didn't exist until three years ago, and the Internet did just fine without it. Net neutrality actually stifles the Internet. You're not Nancy Drew. You didn't break a huge story. You're not even relevant. And brings me to my favorite positive story. Gay NRA sees er surge of membership report. Here's why. Pink Pistols, nicknamed the Gay NRA, has become one of the fastest growing gun groups in the U.S. It's growing membership now, numbering some 10,000 increased rubbing elbows with more traditional conservative gun rights crowd. A development that raised eyebrows on the left. In a report highlighted by the New York Post, Australian journalist Patrick Albud Travel to the U.S. to find out why LGBT people who generally align with leftist political positions aren't increasingly embracing the Second Amendment. Are increasingly embracing the Second Amendment, sorry. I would never have thought I'd see LGBT communities siding with incredibly conservative right-wing pro-gun advocates that have been publicly homophobe and transphobic. That didn't make any sense. 
Albert told Newscom AU in a sweeping smear of the diverse American gun community. One of the turning points for many in the LGBT community about found is a horrific mass shooting by a radical Islamist at the Pulse Gay Nightclub in Orlando that resulted in 52 people dead. Pink Pistol San Diego chapter president Piper Smith told Abood about whatever the fuck his name is that her decision to embrace her Second Amendment right to arm herself was directly inspired by the massacre. She decided to take up arms two days after Orlando because she said it was a 9-11 for the gay community. Oh, isn't that nice? She couldn't comprehend it, and she genuinely didn't want to go outside because she felt threatened just because of who she was. There's a looming fear that if it can happen in Orlando, it can happen anywhere. Citing the increased political division in the country, a general sense of anti-gay sentiment, I don't know where it's at, but whatever, and growing lack of trust in the ability of law enforcement to protect them. Abood said many in the gay community are increasingly taking their protection into their own hands. There is one murder per week of gay person purely because they're gay, and that's really horrifying. Prove it. Can't. The level of homophobia and transphobia in the U.S. is out of control, and some people told me a gun is the difference between living and dying. So that's why they got guns, because they think all the straight people are out to kill them. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, once again, good for them. Get their guns. I have my guns for different reason, because I can't whoop ass anymore, and I like to target practice. You get your guns for that, that is your right. If you're so paranoid that all the straight people are going to kill you, go get your guns. I don't give a fuck. But it's least nice to see some liberals aren't fucking robots and they go out and do it. It even prompted our last gun story this week. Here's CBS doing a pro-gun article, kind of, because they show that a lot of teachers are into this arm themselves concept, and they went to a range. Good morning. The Guardians, who are normal people, not officers of the law, have been here morning until night training. Many told us they're doing this because they have kids in the school system and they're worried about their safety. Guardians will earn $30,000 a year. That's less than school resource officers. And that difference will allow every school in the district to have an armed guard. Armed with real guns and real bullets. These everyday people, like a minister, former teacher, and retired police officer, are training to take down a potential school shooter. I'm tired of hearing teachers having to give their lives to protect students. We're going to be there to engage. You will not have to. We will run to that threat while you take care of what you need to. What about parents who are uncomfortable with more guns on campus or any guns on campus? Those parents need to wake up and understand this is a new normal. This is the last best chance to save your child when all the different layers of security have failed. And their job is simply this, to be well trained, to react within seconds, to find the active shooter and kill him graveyard dead before he can hurt your child with a gun. But we're talking about civilians here, not sheriffs, deputies, or police officers. Wow. That's hard to believe it came out of mainstream news. Kind of Me Too stuff. The New York Daily News' Linda Stasi penned a piece suggesting that Fox News reporter Kimberly Guilfoy be fired over a alleged relationship with Donald Trump Jr. Stasi, Fox should fire Kimberly Guilfoy, who can't possibly stay neutral while dating a Trump kid. Aside from a problematic phrase about Guilfoy picking grapes 
Stasi's piece was also stupid because Guilfoy is not a reporter, and no one is remotely familiar with her work at F- NF- FNC would believe otherwise. Alex Griswold. Imagine writing 400 words on this concept without Googling and discovering that Guilfoy isn't a reporter. But if we're going to start calling for networks to sever ties with pundits of a romantic relationship with political power players, shouldn't Stasi be more concerned about perhaps the most egregious offenders? Earlier this month, Ben Rhodes joined NBC and MSDNC as a political contributor, and as a tweeter, AG Conservative points out, Rose has been carrying on a political troubling sexual relationship for more some time now. AG Conservative, using your logic, NBC should fire Ben Rhodes. He can't possibly stay neutral while he's still having a sexual relation with Obama's legacy. <laughs> Everybody pointed out Gilfoyle is Hispanic. You're picking grapes as racist as fuck. Robin Brown, I really don't think this was meant to be racist. Everybody tried to defend her. But Republicans, can you could say it, right? Tree-hugging sister said. Alex Griswold, the author previously attacked one of the murdered San Bernardino victims, calling him a bigot who deserved to die. Listen to this story, the same lady. According to a small, relevant New York tabloid, there was really only 13 victims of San Bernardino terrorist attack. The 14th, you see, was outspoken right-wing conservative on Facebook who got what was coming to him. That's only barely an exaggeration. In Saturday's column, Linda Stasi shrieked that 13 innocent people are dead in unspeakable carnage. The 14th victim of the shooting, who isn't innocent, is presumed guilty, and when a guilty man is killed by another guilty man, who sheds a tear? What was the murder man's crime? Nicholas Celestino spent his free time writing frightening, NRA-loving, hate-filled screeds on Facebook about Islam. The Celianos was an anti-government, anti-Islam, pro-NRA, rabid, anti-Planned Parenthood kind of guy. Meanwhile, the article headlines when posted on Facebook read simply, San Bernardino bloodbath born of bigots. Bigots, plural. Since the article focuses on Halanisos and only one of the killers, the clearly implication is that the victim of the terrorist attack was partly responsible for his own death. Now, Stasi doesn't actually bother to post the full any of the Thalassinos Facebook post because apparently digging through a dead man's Facebook post for evidence could condemn him is A-OK, but linking to them is beyond the pale. But the excerpt she does post doesn't seem that far afield from your typical outspoken conservative. Thalassinos was an Ann Coulter fan, thought politicians were biased against the Jewish people in Israel, denounced the Democrats for sacrificing and selling unborn children, and said million Muslim march participants could shove it up their ass. You may or maybe not agree or disagree with Thalcino's idea or his rhetoric, but just as bigoted as literal members of ISIS who murdered people for crime of being non-Muslim, no. No. She said Thalassinos was a radical, born-again Christian Masonic Jew who also connected with his future wife online and traveled across the country to meet her. Stassi notes breathlessly, note to online daters, if you ever get murdered by a radical Islamic terrorist, be aware that your dating history will be used to declare you're just as bad as the killers. The attack would be despicable coming from anyone, but coming from a small, irrelevant tabloid isn't simply baffling. The publication is questioned as often known for the top, over-the-top, left-wing rhetoric blared across his front pages and employing columnists like Stasi and Sean King. So that's what she did. She attacked a dead person. Yeah. She then tried to backpedal. 
Absolutely no idea that Kimberly Guilfoyle is half Puerto Rican, and my column was in no way meant as a slur. I will change that reference online ASAP. Actually, it's my relatives in Calabrina who pick grapes. Sorry for any offense. No, too late. Too late. This is how reporters get their bones, though. Attack conservatives. Say radical shit. Clickbait. Become stars. Samantha B. More positive move, mute, news in our fire for effect. Advertisers avoid Samantha B. like the plague for the second straight week. She had 19 different advertisers. She's down to six. Six. And one of them was New Line Cinema movie that actually TBS is part of. So that's the only reason I was there. So technically it's five. I love it. Fuck her. And finally, as we go out to a music break and tweets of the day, it seems like Trump's doing pretty well. Because every time we get the angry, angry libs, and they start talking about the voters again, just like those FBI agents that we'll learn more about in our segment today, and you hear these sound bites. The first one is Chris Matthews. And saying basically we're Jonestown cult and mojo bashing conservatives. So the cult, you people that support these policies that are anti-liberal, yeah, you're a cult. I mean, we could talk all day about Obama's cult of personality, but we're not going to do that because he was a deity. And our music is going to be Five Finger Death Punch, because there is a subject of our military corner brought to you by Matt in Oregon, who brought us two things this week. First, our great story on Five Finger Death Punch, which I did not know this stuff, so it's pretty interesting. And he also got us our Lighter Fair segment, which is the whole conversation on the Internet about abortion and Planned Parenthood and how we must finance these fucking ghouls. It's funny as hell. So, Matt in Oregon, thank you. That's two. Two for this thing. You, you, if I had hats or more stickers, I'd send them, but it, I don't. So let's uh, listen to the cult and take a music break, and we'll go into tweets of the day. Anyway, Republican Party becoming more like a cult than a political party. Boy, that's hard news for the Republicans. You're in a cult. This is Jonestown. The Hardball Roundtable sticks with us. This guy, Roosevelt, couldn't get rid of people. He couldn't purge them when he tried in 38. It wasn't it wasn't doable in the old. I mean, the Democratic Party is a little more loosey-goosey, but they don't take orders. Like the Republicans do. They all sound like they've been scripted by Sean Hannity, all marching along in stiff, locked cadence and regimental discipline, speaking in one voice, smiling in unison, contorting their faces into the same expression as the man next to them, you know, like scared-to-death soldiers marching in a parade up in Pyongyang. Look at what happens if you get out of step. You're gone, like Senator Bob Corker or Senator Jeff Flake or Congressman Charlie Dent or Congressman Ryan Castell or Trey Gowdy. If you're not in step with the Trump marchers, not in tune with the line from the White House, if you can't lip sync with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you're dead in Trump's eyes. Whatever you want to say about Mark Sanford, who Trump's people knocked off in yesterday's primary, you need to add this. At least when he embarrassed himself a few years back, at least the love was real. The Republicans now beckoning to Trump's allure cannot even claim that. It, it has devolved into a cult. That, well, Primary the voters in the Republican Party have devolved into a Trumpist cult. Right. Well, it's, a, it's, it's clear that conservatism, liberalism, voting records, none of those things matter. It is a cult of personality, and the president has an extraordinary hold over his base. And cult of personality is one good uh, description for it. The second thing is, 
for all of the people out there, including at various times everyone at this table and me, all of us who've sat and said, why is it Republicans are afraid of Donald Trump? Why do they not? Why do they cross? Why will they never cross him? Why he never repays their loyalty? He's terrible. He's this. He's right. that. They should all have the courage of their convictions and stand up to him. This is a good example because Mark Sanford didn't really even stand up to him. He just made a couple of snotty comments about him, and Trump brings the wrath of Trump upon the guy and he loses his job. Now. I would, and probably everyone here would say, you should take a stand for what you believe in and, and, and be willing to lose your job. But nonetheless, the fact is that if you get on the wrong side of Donald Trump, his power over his base is significant enough that he can kill you, regardless of how conservative your voting record is, regardless of your history in the Republican Party, regardless of your ideology, regardless of everything else. If he wants to put a target on your back, he can and will. The, the Republican Party is not a conservative party. Right. It's, it's not conservative uh, intellectually. It's not conservative fiscally. Temperamentally. It's, it's not conservative temperamentally. Uh, you, you look at everything that whether you can go back to, from Edmund Burke through Russell Kirk. Uh, you, you, can, you can go through William F. Buckley straight into Ronald Reagan. What's happening today is an aberration of all of those things. And that's fine. But I just I wonder where conservatives go now. Well Trump has not achieved that much. Uh, the tax cut was the big thing. And the, the reality is that if you look what he's achieved versus Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush or, or any other president, Republican or Democrat, in the first year, it's, it's pretty minimal. This is a man who is a pathological liar that's not only engaged in an assault on truth, he's trying to annihilate truth. And the Republican Party is a sword and, and, it's, and it's shield. And they are complicit in the lies and they are complicit in the, in, the, in the deep immorality. And I don't mean just immorality in terms of his sexual ethics. I'm talking a man who is basically at his heart a nihilist, a kind of Nietzschean, a person who believes that might makes right. Um, and the Republican Party, which which was born, um, you know, in, in in the era of of the Civil War and Lincoln, who was the greatest moral leader that America has ever produced, has now aligned um, with with this person who is who is a moral idiot. Okay, uh, so we we could agree with that. But what do you say to evangelical Christians who say you don't need to like the boss as long as he gets the job done? So from this from the judicial appointment standpoint. Don't you think they're saying, who cares, I'm not going to know that guy in four or eight years, and these judges will be in these positions for a lifetime? Yeah, I mean, I'd say a couple of, uh, of things. Uh, you know, if, if they're selling their soul for judges.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Day Emily Eaton starts our starts us off. I did not see this, didn't know about it, but when I did, I was like, "Oh my god!" A raccoon is scaling a skyscraper in downtown St. Paul. Excuse me while I anxiously await updates. Ben, my picture from the 13th floor around noon. Hope he makes it. He was fucking Spider Manning up this building. Meg Dalton, this is only news I'm following today. Fox 9, MP Raccoon has already climbed 22 stories and appears to be taking a break. Ted Werner, oh nothing, just a raccoon hanging on the 22nd floor of the UBS Plaza downtown. He was on a ledge just sleeping. Emily Eaton again, someone save the damn raccoon. Alex, hey, I need a refill of my anxiety meds. Doc, I just filled that. What's going on? Me. There's a raccoon and he's climbing a building and no one can save him. And he hasn't eaten in a while. I'm very concerned. M.A. Rusko. One misguided raccoon has brought the people of Twin Cities together and it's a beautiful thing. Which it was. Richard Jeter, 2018. You could have taken so much from us. Can the MP raccoon just please make it through this okay? And then let me adopt it and name it Rocket. That is the only tweet i got to point out is... Why do you people have to do everything with Trump? Jesus fucking Christ. PC, trying out for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is a great tweet, because he does look like the raccoon. Ted Versner, raccoon update, city spokesman for animal control. We've been in touch with wildlife organizations. We're hoping it gets to the top so we can set a trap for there. Animal control officers were unclear whether the raccoon would be physically able to come down on its own. They don't think it could. And then finally, you can look now, the raccoon is fine. Well, it's in either case, the raccoon is fine. It made it to the top of the UBS Center early Wednesday. It was picked up by Wildlife Management Services, and it's on its way to being released in a safer, skyscraper-less area. There were tens of thousands of tweets about MP Raccoon, but this gem was our tweet of the day, and I think it's hilarious. It shows troopers in the door in the 82nd Airborne Division tweeted, Breaking with the MP raccoon safely rescued, the global response force will stand down. Let us know if you need anything else. Hashtag back to brag. Hashtag jump scratched. An OEF gunfighter retweeted it. And that's how I saw it. This global response force is as good as it gets. 18 hour less, boot, less boots on the ground. Fight and win. Shot out to the 82nd Airborne BCT Combat Readiness. Fury from the sky. And that's our tweet of the day. Hey, tweet of the day! 
I do think he would like a forever presidential term. You know, I, I am not surprised by this president um, sort of extolling the virtues of, of, the, of a dictator because, you know, if you read anything about human rights violations here in our own country, this president, since his presidency, human rights violations here in the U.S. have spiraled. I mean, this is someone who has targeted immigrants, targeted refugees, allowed children to be taken away right. from their mothers. Uh, you know, black people are still at a rate, unarmed black men get, get killed at a rate of five times more than an unarmed white person. I mean, the human rights violations that are occurring right here in our country are unaddressed by this administration. So the fact that he doesn't care about human rights violations in Korea, why is anybody surprised? We're not well, surprised. And, you know, the, the, what didn't Trump... Um, campaign on the idea that we're only going to go after immigrants who are breaking the law mm -hmm. and now they're going after people who are just coming here for asylum right. you know it was this particular rule was on the books for Obama and Bush but they really didn't enforce it unless right. there was something horrible that was happening mm -hmm. and this group seems to be l like viciously attacking these people in some way and yeah. as Americans I mean I don't like this people should not tolerate this this is like this is like Germany I mean mm -hmm. come on people what is up with the Nazi shit? I mean, seriously. Good Lord. We start our hate tweets with Twitter again. Ryan Fortney. I never gonna say his name right. Twitter's deleted 15-year-old black conservative, the C.J. Pearson account, because it said it was under 13. He's, in fact, 15. He was verified, which means Twitter knew this. Jack, please do the honorable thing. So they finally replied, recently made product change tied to new privacy laws and became aware of accounts that were set up by people when they were younger than 13. We didn't expect this. These accounts were automatically locked and we created additional confusion by sending messages to people saying that they're still under 13 when many are now older and need to close their accounts. Our rules don't allow anyone under 13 to tweet or create a Twitter account, so we're working on a technical solution to delete those tweets and allow the impacted account holders to continue on Twitter. In the meantime, we're reaching out to people impacted with the options to unlock their account and continue using Twitter. Instructions from all of us will come during the coming week. We apologize for the confusion and inconvenience and will continue to work to serve you better. Since the restoration of my account, I've lost almost virtually all my followers. If you don't mind, can you retweet this and help me? regain them no liberals were affected by this policy and why have you cancel his or lock his account do you kill all his followers that is a current theme on twitter when they suspend block freeze you know stealth ban them all the shit they're doing to conservatives they lose all their followers and it's a concerted effort by twitter so that conservatives don't have a voice you can't tell me it's accidental. It's a software. They're doing it on purpose. They're doing it on purpose. Next hate tweets, Donald J. Trump, Corey Stewart for this great victory for Senator from Virginia. Now he runs against a total stiff, Tim Kaine, who's weak on crime and borders, blah, 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 blah. Patricia Arquette, you are enforcing a white supremacist. First you backed Roy Moore, now this. We are a shithole country. Selena Zito. Predictions despite several very good GOP challengers running for U.S. Senate in the cycle. Corey Stewart will become the media's standard bearer of who the GOP is. And every time he screws up, and he will, they'll point to him and say, see. Somehow, someway, he said something once they didn't like, and now he's a white supremacist. But I don't see the media getting upset because Patricia Arquette called us a shithole country.
Alec Baldwin's My Hate Tweet of the Day says he would absolutely win against Trump a 2020 election. No, you wouldn't, Alec. Nobody would vote for you, except for far, far, far left liberals. Pollster and former advisor to Bill Clinton and Michael Bloomberg, Doug Schoen, who's all over Meet the Press, is letting Democrats know something the GOP would rather let them keep doing. Doug Schoen, Hollywood, Democrats need to 86 Hollywood. This type of combative rhetoric does nothing for America. Oliver's Army. Come on, Doug, I'm sure the Hollywood elites are perfect for the job of representing the Democratic Party. And remember in last podcast, they're looking to Hollywood for their midterm talking points. And I hope they do. Because every time they do, they just piss America off. Democrats like Senator Chris Murphy have sounded the Russia alarm ever since Hillary Clinton lost. However, the subsequent party talking points must not be catching on with the general public. Because Murphy, the guy that was all over my podcast for the longest time, has shifted gears. Gabrielle De Benedict, 32% of all voters and 40% of independents said they either had no opinion of a special counselor or had never heard of him. Chris Murphy verifies what I find in Connecticut. While political class follow every Mueller twist and turn, tons of swing voters are focused on the same things they always are. Healthcare, wages, education, and safety. Ocean Zephyr, they are focused on real issues? Really, Chris? Hmm. Then there was this. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long. Exclusive. It was like summer camp on steroids. White House stenographer lifts lid on President Obama's Air Force One and reveals how Xanax and Ambien on long flights made awkward hookups with colleagues. Funny and bizarre. Former White House stenographer Becky Doris Stein tells how traveling with President Obama in his press pool was like summer camp on steroids. In her upcoming memoir, From the Corner of the Oval... Dory Stein lifts to the lid on her travels on Air Force One and her affair with a staffer. And once again, if you have an eye for name, you're a douchebag. Everyone took their drug of choice along flights, Sonata, Xanax, or Ambien, which made awkward intimacy with colleagues suddenly just funny and bizarre, she writes. Beck found herself listening to old-timers telling stories such as when George H.W. Bush puked on Japanese Prime Minister and Reagan fell asleep in front of the Pope. You know, it's all negative about conservatives. She broke protocol when she got invited in a hot and heavy sexual relationship with Obama's senior staffers in hotel rooms. Obama traveling staff was almost all women and dubbed the Vigiants. Long story. My take from the story, everybody who worked for Obama was a cultist. They were just a cultist. And the most important thing is, it's probably no different for Trump. How do you get grown up and you just idolize a politician. I don't get it. To our hypocrisy. Hypocrisy!
something about You're it. A Jill, parent. don't you have any empathy? Jill, go ahead. Come on, Sarah. You're a parent. Don't you have any empathy for what these people are going through? Jill. They have less than Brian. you do. God, Sarah, come on. Settle down. Seriously. I'm trying to be serious, but I'm not going to have you, you yell out at her. Jill, it's a law, and and they have th these people have nothing. They hey, Ryan, I know you want to get some more TV it's time, not but that's that, not what this is about. about. If I want to recognize you, question, go ahead, Sarah. Jill. Honestly, answer the question. It's a serious question. These people have nothing. They come to the border with nothing, and you throw children in cages. You're a parent. You're a parent of young children. Don't you have any empathy for what they go through? Jill, go ahead. That's another reporter trying to out Acosta Acosta. We got a segment on Acosta today. If we start off with Claire McCaskill, very excited to hit the road next week in this Names Anyone for the RV. We're off on a Veterans for Claire tour on Tuesday morning. The RV named Big Blue by the campaign was unveiled late last month by McCaskill, who said she was very excited to hit the road. In it, for an upcoming Veterans for Claire tour, the campaign kept a live blog or a three-day RV trip from May 29th, 31st, posting updates of its whereabouts. The problem is, Alex Griswold busted it. Everybody tried to defend her, but she's full of shit. Claire McCaskill supposedly went on folks the RV tour in Missouri. Purely by coincidence, her million-dollar private plane kept taking off and landing at places she was visiting. Now it's important to note that Bress Scherer, who wrote the Free Beacon article, never once claimed that McCaskill was actually traveling using her plane, as opposed to the RV. Scherer did, however, point out that McCaskill has tried funny business with her plane in the past. McCaskill has taken steps to hide the use of her plane in a 2017 email obtained by the Washington Free Beacon. The senator asked the Federal Aviation Administration to block radar tracking information on her plane from being publicly broadcast on the Internet. The request blocks the ability to track her plane on websites such as flightaware.com. All indications of the McCaskill campaign were that she was traveling on the RV. The campaign bragged after the three-day tour concluded that it had traveled 700 miles on the RV. The campaign asked if fundraising emails for money to fuel the RV, complaining gas is expensive. It costs up to $200 just to fill up the RV, and with the number of places we're planning on going, that adds up fast, the campaign wrote, without mentioning aircraft fuel costs. Will you pitch in just $5 today to help fund our RV tour and power us to victory in November? But despite the free beacon straightforward reporting, McCaskill still seemed upset about something. Alana Shore, McCaskill says Free Beacon reporting about her use of a plane during the RV tool is not accurate. She spent two plus days on the RV and one day we extended some stops with the use of the plane and the RV didn't go to those stops. Matthew Contetti, I'm puzzled over what Senator McCaskill is talking about here. Beacon never asserted she was on the plane, only that it tracked her out. Yet McCaskill's response suggests that she was on the plane, at least for part of the trip, which has been billed as an RV tour. My point is, and that's why I'm covering it, if a conservative did this, MSDNC and CNN would talk about it all day. But McCaskill, who's a buddy of Mojo and company, they just ignored it. What the fuck? Time Magazine political reporter Philip Elliott thought that was hypocritical of Trump. This is our next one. This is the story the president is using, seemingly unconcerned that he has used his own private jet throughout the campaign to hold rallies at or near airfields. Also, he did not visit Missouri during the general election. Gabriel Maller. Of course, Trump didn't claim to be taking an RV tour when he wasn't. 
Isn't the point that she pretended to be an RV? Philip Elliott, she was on the RV tour until she hopped off and did some other stuff by the plane. Tim Carney, but your implied charge of hypocrisy seems to ignore the nature of the charge against Ms. Caskell, the faux homespun woman of the people thing. If it means elected officials can spend more time hearing from constituents, I'm all for many means of transportation that put them in front of the people. John Pedoras, I think these things are ludicrous, but she did pretend that she was riding in a van. This is some impressive spin. The point was she was supposed to be on a folksy RV tool. Don't recall Trump doing that. Also, why would he visit a state he had in a bag? And finally, that was Brent Shearer Free Beacon that broke the story. Not Politico. Only liberals could get away with this shit. It doesn't become front page news. It just doesn't. It's no different than Rush Limbaugh. He says something crazy, and we all have to hear about it, and it's all Republicans. But when a, cons- a liberal talking head does it, it's not all Republicans. When that lady said all Trump supporters are fucking racist, didn't even raise a blip. But Rush Limbaugh says Sandra Flick's a fucking whore, and every conservative in the country owns that statement. Let's go into our Acosta segment. It just never stops. Yeah. Hey, they're not going to be in the fucking meeting. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's our shot to ask. All day long, man. All day long. certainly our shot to ask. Side picture. Let's listen in. Listen again and see if uh, second time around we can make out more of it. Mr. President, how's the meeting going so far, sir? Any progress, Mr. President? President, how's it going so far, sir? What do you think? Very, very good. Chairman Kim, you can nuclear eye. Mr. Kim, will you give up your nuclear weapons, sir? I don't think Kim Jong-un is used to the voice of Jim Acosta of CNN on a regular basis. <laughs> President, did he agree to denuclearize first? Starting says very quickly. Very, very quickly. Absolutely. Mr. President, 100%. Do you agree with this? Did you talk about auto warm beer, sir? Mr. Kennedy, did you agree to get off the nuclear arms? 
You'll be seeing every little while. Uh, the letter that we're signing is very comprehensive, and I think both sides are going to be very impressed with the result. A lot of goodwill went into this, a lot of work, a lot of preparation. I want to thank uh, everybody on both sides, uh, Secretary Pompeo and all of his counterparts. They were absolutely fantastic. 네, 후에, 그 CNN's Jim Acosta interrupts historic signing ceremony, shouts at Trump. CNN White House correspondent Jim Acosta, best known for his role as a provocateur in the press pool, interrupted the historic summit between Trump and Un by shouting questions at the president. Mr. President, did we agree to new denuclearization? Acosta shouted at Trump was, was signing a document. Moments later, as Trump answered, Acosta shouted another question. Did you talk about Otto Wambier, sir? That was not the only moment during the summit that Acosta made it about himself as he desperately sought attention. Earlier in the day, Acosta yelled questions at Trump from a significant distance away, shouting, Mr. President, how is the meeting going so far, sir? Any progress, Mr. President? After getting no response, Acosta continued shouting, Mr. Kim, will you give up your nuclear weapons, sir? Another article. Jim Acosta is running into burning buildings all over the place, defending himself from critics of his very special approach to journalism. Dan Bradsell. Acosta should immediately have his press credentials suspended. He's an absolute disgrace. Jim Acosta, dear Brad, dictatorships take away press credentials, not democracies. Dan Rather came to his defense. Jim Acosta's a pro. Anyone seeking to silence him will find that he will only dig deeper and be more determined to uncover the truth the administration wanted to remain hidden. Doug Powers, maybe Dan's got some documents about Trump he'd like Acosta to take a look at. Oliver Darcy, alternative headline for this, Fox News Chiron from this morning, CNN reporter does his job. But I want to go back in the way back machine. Back in 2012, do we remember when Daily Caller was a fledgling news site? The president and journalist church exchange reflect the heightened polarized climate, political experts say. We're in an area of incivility, said Andrea Gillespie, an associate professor of political science at Emory University in Atlanta. There's been an erosion of respect for for Neil Monroe, a White House correspondent for the Washington-based website, The Daily Caller. Asked the president about his administration's dramatic policy shift on immigration while the president was in the middle of delivering and prepared remarks. Excuse me, sir. It's not time for questions, said Obama. Fire back. Not while I'm speaking. Actually, quite a dignified M. Finn Pickle said, This CNN story from 2012 when a conservative reporter interrupted an Obama event with a policy question is hilarious in light of Acosta and Oliver Darcy now insisting this is totes in their job. Especially since the CNN story in 2012 provided two options for what interrupting a presidential event with a policy question could be. Neither was a reporter's job. Obama's interrupted disrespect or latest in an era of incivility. On the front of the New York Times had a picture of Obama pointing his hand at the guy and this guy with his hands in his pocket looking like a slob. Mr. Monroe violated decorum at the White House and generated outlined shouts of disapproval from other reporters, analysts, and historians. This incident took place two weeks after the president's top strategist, David Axelrod, was nearly drowned out at a campaign event by hecklers who had come to support Mitt Romney. 
Stephen Miller. No problem with the cost of shouting questions at Trump and Kim, but the reaction amongst journalists between that and Neil Monroe shouting questions at Obama and the Rose Garden has been enlightening. I guess we're not... We're just going to memory hole how Monroe was portrayed as a disrespectful heckler by other journalists and media outlets. Here's how Acosta's network portrayed Obama getting questions shouted at him by reporters. Incidents seen as the latest in string of disrespectful actions towards the president. Story highlights. Reporter, conservative website, interrupts Obama during his remarks on immigration. A clearly angered Obama responds, not while I'm talking. Incident seen as the latest in a string of disrespectful action towards President Politico. Obama interrupted by heckling reporter. Not only was that the line, I remember it was Racism. If you tried to shout a question to Obama, you were racist. This is what's wrong with America. They can't handle a black president. Yeah. So no, Acosta, it's not doing your job. Under conservatives, that's your job. Under Democrats, that's disrespectful. I searched for one soundbite of Acosta pressing the Obama administration. I could find nothing. Nothing. There was not one thing. And with their failing ratings, you think they would stop this shit. But no, they've renewed Jeff Zucker through the election. And Wolf Blitzer did this bullshit the same day that Acosta got accused of being a dick fall on the political spectrum um, and I think that's as David said what you're seeing in the coverage is a lot of scrutiny of what actually happened um, and he would rather just uh, attack the media for daring to do our jobs which is to kind of evaluate what he's doing. But let's, I mean it's so unoriginal too I mean there's no president or political figure who likes the media and so he's trying to outdo Nixon. It's one thing not to like paranoia. the media we've all worked at, you know yeah. for, uh, in this news business for a long time everybody's always criticizing yeah. us and not happy with our coverage whether it was President Clinton or, or President Bush or President they're all criticized but it's another thing to say that you know it's not North Korea it's not right. Iran it's not I'm Russia not it's not China, it's journalists say, like us right. who, who are the enemy of the American people. One of the things that bothers me most about the president is I don't even take what he's saying seriously. It's that he's so casual about throwing out language and that you really undermine the presidency when you do that because there will be a time after Donald Trump, believe it or not, and he is doing damage to this notion of do we believe what the president says. But we live in an environment where social media principally allows so much hyperbole that now the president engages in it and it becomes kind of the blood stream of our public discourse where you could say something that over the top and that it would be the president of the United States who says it and that and I don't take it seriously which is a problem too because he's not really being serious when he says it it's but a, a shame but a lot of people do take it seriously yeah, and, it's problem. and it's yeah, having an impact a lot of his supporters believe that we are the enemy of the yeah, American people sure and that is a really really an awful situation uh, we are not the enemy of the American people we love the American people all right guys thanks very much uh, president trump says north Yes, you are. Your network is at least. High capacity, Mark. Dear Wolf, the media deserves every bit of the scorn that they are treated with. Yes, they do. The Onion is even getting in the act. 
CNN promised to maintain complete lack of editorial integrity despite AT&T Time Warner merger in response to U.S. District Court judge overturning a Justice Department ruling that has previously blocked an $85 billion merger between telecom giant AT&T and its parent company, Time Warner. CNN reportedly promised Tuesday that the cons- consolidation would have no effect on its ability to maintain a complete lack of editorial integrity. We want to reassure our viewers that no matter what happens on the business side of things, we are committed to providing the same level of absolutely uninformed and unintelligent commentary that they've come to expect from us, said CNN President Jeff Zucker, adding that he'd been in contact with executives of AT&T and received their assurance that they would not attempt to interfere with CNN's misguided histrionic coverage. Our frequent failure to meet even the most basic of journalistic principles and mission to downplay important facts in favor of shock value and hysterics is what people have come to expect from us, and we won't let you down. If anything... The merger should provide even more opportunities to secure ethically compromised interviewees and expand our spurious tone-deaf coverage to new platforms. Zucker also stated that he was hoping to leverage the multi-billion dollar merger into big raises for CNN's vapid, inept, on-air talent. <laughs> yeah. But it's just not them. New York Times readers meet the paper's biggest fans on Facebook. They started a private group. There's 600 people. These people are extreme liberals. And have you ever looked at the comment section? Yeah, it's there. Then we go into more Ben Rhodes. Gushy. Time asked Ben Rhodes about Obama's striking discipline and being so charismatic. On the last non-advertised page of the June 18th edition of Time Magazine with a cover mocking Donald Trump, imagining himself as an ing, Time oozes all over the majesty of Barack Obama in an eight-question interview with former Obama aide Ben Rhodes. Questions like, is his discipline made more striking by his successor? Ben Rhodes, he was the most disciplined person I've ever been around. Next question. Is it surprising that someone so charismatic believes in institutions? Rhodes. He is at his core an institutionalist. You make changes incrementally. He, unlike any other American president, had his DNA and family experience and understanding that institutions are the very thin veneer between civilization and either anarchy or tyranny. Tim Time edited the gush for the print edition. Vic apparently asked this question in full. Was he Obama the most disciplined person on earth? Or does it just seem that way, given who a president now? Then there was this cockeyed question. Obama's speeches always articulated ideas. Trump never do. Does that matter? Next question. Obama provoked a lot of racist responses. Did his staff urge him to respond? In the Rhodes book, Obama says more U.S. voters probably felt they had more in common with Vladimir Putin than him. Was that prescient? That's an actual fucking article. And finally, Salon finds psychiatrists to diagnose Trump as insane. We're back to that. Non-certified psychiatrist. Oh, he's insane. So Ireland's vote was shown to be social media giants put their thumbs on the scale. And this, of course, is the vote to stop the ban of abortion. It shows Facebook and Google were in cahoots. Facebook wouldn't let any ads go up. Google changed the algorithm so you couldn't find pro-life stuff on the debate. And I think 
this soundbite by a pro-life person shows why it's so hard for pro-life people. Because the media is an important aspect of this fight. When it comes to life after Roe and overturning Roe v. Wade, the media has such an important role to play as they report on developments, they report on the law, and they report on the facts relating to abortion and life issues. And the more that we see the truth about abortion, the more Americans' minds are changing. And we just saw that this week with the most recent Gallup poll that's come out. When you look at the number of people who believe that abortion should be legal in either no or very few circumstances, that's 53%, a majority of Americans. And so when you see the media start reporting on information like that, on what's going on in the courts, in the legislatures, with uh, human interest stories and, and their peers, uh, women who have chosen life and are succeeding and, and achieving great things in their lives um, despite abortion or irrespective of abortion, all of those are stories that promote life, affirm life, and will begin to save lives. Into our media mash. First soundbite, Hunt presses Jordan on whether stricter immigration law is Christian. Yeah. Casey Hunt, you're not a Christian. You hate Christians. That's a fucking hypocritical question. Second one, clueless Brian Seltzer demonstrates no self-awareness on his double standard. And our last one is Brooke Baldwin just goes off the rails about how women athletes deserve the same amount because she's a feminist or something. I'm just curious. I mean, do they think that videotape doesn't exist? <laughs> I feel like the most valuable thing in America today is consistency because it's so hard to find. It's so hard to find. All I think people are looking for is a little consistency, but you don't see that yeah. in right-wing media. And okay, it's not just Fox that has done this shape-shifting and completely changed their position. MSNBC commentators also have had examples of this. So skeptical, in fact, is what we're supposed exactly. to be yeah. as journalists of both sides. Yeah. But I thought it was telling that even before the summit started, commentators on Fox were saying that Trump wasn't going to get any credit, and they were saying the media was out to get him, and that the media yeah. was un-American, wanting this to fail. Yeah. The bar was being set even before the summit started. And now, after the fact, what we see is this alternative universe that both President Trump and his supporters play into. When, when the president this morning is saying the nuclear threat has it's been resolved, over. it's yeah. over, yeah. he's doing the same thing that Fox commentators do by trying to create this alternative narrative right. where he's already the mm -hmm. hero and he's already achieved it. Let's talk for a second about some of the policies that we're seeing the Trump administration apply now at the border. Jeff Sessions uh, has announced he's changing the rules for asylum seekers. Uh, and those people who are coming uh, and saying that they are victims of domestic violence will not be able to find asylum here in the United States. Do you think that's a Christian approach? What I do know is the asylum laws need to be changed. When some 19-year-old can come here and say there's a credible fear of persecution and that 19-year-old is actually a part of MS-13, we've got to change our asylum laws. Right I'm not now, you asking can, you people, about people who people are part can, of MS-13. I'm asking you about, say, a woman, a young woman who comes here and says, I'm a victim of what, domestic violence. Is, what is I'm saying, our Casey, asylum is, laws previously said she could, come, she could come here and apply for asylum? And what I'm saying is, in a general sense, our asylum laws have to change because anyone can show up at the border. They've been coached. They say, I have a credible fear of persecution. That persecution is X, Y, whatever. Then that needs to be changed. Certainly, we don't want anyone to be any domestic violence uh, uh, victims not, not getting refuge and, and, and safety from that. But what I'm saying is the asylum laws have to be changed. Everyone agrees with that. And everyone you think that's the Christian approach to that? 
What I'm saying is, no, no, for people who are truly persecuted, we want to help them. What I'm saying is, asylum laws have to change, let's get on with that. And what mostly needs to happen, Casey, is we need an immigration law. We need an immigration bill that is consistent with what we told the American people. Sanctuary cities need to be changed, E-Verify, chain migration, visa lottery, building a border security wall. Let's focus on all those policies that were front and center in the campaign. And then we will also deal with the DACA population. Let's have that kind of bill that's consistent with what we told the American people we were going to do if they elected us. I'm still not hearing you argue that it's a Christian policy, sir. What do Serena Williams, Danica Patrick, Lindsey Vaughn, Ronda Rousey, and Maria Sharapova all have in common? They're all badass women, not on the list of the 100 highest paid athletes in the world. In fact, not a single woman is on that list. Not one. Instead, the men on this new list out this week made a record $3.8 billion. That is up 23% from the previous year. Uh, to be fair, one of the reasons cited, team sports are exploding thanks to TV deals. But when you look at the individual level, I want you to look at these comparisons. Uh, Roger Federer, $77 million to Serena Williams, 18 Lewis Hamilton, $51 million. Danica Patrick, 10.3. And just keep this in mind. The women's soccer team filed a lawsuit a couple of years ago arguing discrimination over their salaries since their team actually brings in more than the men's team. But perhaps more importantly in this whole conversation, the people who don't make the millions, who are not standing out there on red carpets or on the Forbes list, when asked about the pay disparity just in Hollywood, actress Amy Adams says this. Let me quote her. I want to fight for people outside our industry. Let's start with our teachers. Let's get waiters paid the same minimum wage. That's what's great about what's happening with Time's Up. We're starting to have bigger conversations than just about what's happening in Hollywood. And, and let me just end with this. You know, talking about what we make still seems so taboo. I did something recently I had never done before, something that actually felt a little uncomfortable for me at first. I told a girlfriend, a colleague, how much I make. I told her so that when time comes for her to negotiate her salary with her boss, that she is armed with not just numbers, but knowledge. We need to start speaking up about this. We need to stand up for what we're worth. Our Bias 101 today is fan-fucking-tastic. Former Senator, Dems should be Trump loyal opposition, not MSDNC. And then Chris Matthews again, Dems media must remind America what decency and morality is. Decency and morality. These two sound bites play together like peanut butter and fucking jelly. Where's the Democratic Party on the human rights aspects of this? Where's the Republican Party establishment on national security? But what can the Democratic Party security? really do? What you're doing. The, the, the loyal opposition in America is not the press, with all due respect. It's the Democratic Party. Questions about national security, the competence of the administration, preparation, whether or not we're abusing our allies, whether or not we're but breaking Bob, long-standing commitments, they come from the Democratic Party, not Bob, MSNBC. Both Democrats and Republicans have been silenced by a bully. The only group that hasn't been is the press. But That's silence is complicity, Stephanie. I mean, this is the problem, and historically that has been the problem when people say, you know, first they came for this group and we did nothing, then they came for this group and we did nothing, and ultimately they come for everybody. I'm not saying that that's where we're going, but, but silence is absolutely complicity. And so 
The press but he's is neutered not, them. He's hijacked his own party, and they've yeah, allowed it to happen. He's gaslighted everybody, too. Yeah, and that's a problem. You know, I think we have to be just as tough on the opposition these days, because I really think what Nero did the other night, and you got to be really careful about this, because I think the cultural world, your world, to some extent the Democrats, certainly the media, have got to uphold what nobility is in this country through these years. And, and what is that? They've got to remind people of what they're not having, which is a sense of nobility about life on this planet and a sense of, of moral goodness. And I think Trump is lowering us down to a standard. You know, it's always said in war that you end up imitating your, your enemy in war. You, you become as barbarous as they are. And the trouble with the criticism of Trump now, it's going down to the level of Trump. Well, People are starting to talk like him. You know, and I think that's right. really going to hurt opposition, opposition. That's a dangerous path, and I agree with you, and I can be guilty of that myself. But ultimately, you have to, I don't know what they're laughing at, but uh, ultimately, in all your criticism of the man, you can't forget you have to wish the best for the presidency, and that, for instance, in this case, he finds peace. Keep your eye on what the prize should be and criticize the man as much as you want. We have to remind our kind of ourselves we're American. No self-awareness. I mean, seriously. Decency? Your conduct has been like juvenile kids since fucking 2016, you jackasses. To our stats of the day without a bumper, James Wood. Justice Alito also cited statistics that 24 million voter registrations, about one in eight, are either invalid or significantly inaccurate, and about 2.75 million people are said to be registered to vote on more than one state. That's federal, federal statistics. Thus, you know why liberals freak out like they did in our last podcast when judges go purge the rolls. That's how they win. I don't care what you tell me. That's how liberals win. They're the only people bussing people to vote. Greta Van Susteren, another stat that you're not going to hear. Just heard pundits on US TV that people in the world don't like Donald Trump, yet people here in Singapore, for many nations, Tell me how much he's liked in Asia, that he's popular. That'll never hit your fucking airwaves. Other stuff, since we covered uh, uh, narco, good lord, man, it's pretty current. No Coke, no Pepsi, bottlers leave Mexico City hit by crime. 130 polit 113 politicians have been killed ahead of Mexico's election. There are still two weeks to go. A politician killed on a public bus. A candidate murdered while taking a selfie. This campaign season may be the deadliest ever. The 13th mayor of Mexico candidate has been killed. Basically, whoever the narcos want is going to be the mayor of Mexico. Scary shit. Makes me think that next year's Narcos is going to be something to watch. It's about Mexico. Another stat that you'll never hear on TV. Religious people live four years longer than atheists. Study finds. Scientists put it down to being more social, volunteering, and drinking less. The Ohio, the Ohio State Liberal Institution. Study was based on 1,000 obituaries published across the U.S. in 2011. While the data set is small, the psychology research team insisted there's merit to the correlation. Religious people often drink less, socialize more, and volunteer and have a nicer life. Yeah. So now we're going to go into our segment, but we're going to do a music break first. 
This is my favorite five-finger death punch song. It's also the closeout tune, if you listen to it in the beginning, to this podcast. And on the other side, we'll come into the IG report. Now, not a lot of sound bites, a lot of reading. Next podcast, we will inundate your ears with the media trying to spin this crazy shit. Because basically the IG report has justified anybody who paid attention what we thought was going on with the FBI. They were with her.
welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast with Tony Reese. Plenty of ammunition for both sides. Well, I think uh, what we're seeing in the reaction here is a very partisan uh, reaction and predictable. The other shoe didn't drop. I mean, we knew a lot of the facts here. Very poor judgment exercised, in my view, by the Attorney General, former Attorney General Loretta Lynch. Really poor judgment by James Comey. Stupid text messages between FBI participants in the investigation. We knew all that. The other shoe, which I anticipated, didn't happen. That is, the Inspector General, I thought, would come out and say, and then I saw some of this bias reflected in activities at the core of the investigation that questioned the integrity of the investigation. Didn't happen. I expected a sledgehammer. We just got the same kind of hammer you used to nail in a, uh, a painting on the wall. I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I, I was surprised at how mild it was. But the inspector general did not take it to the next step and say that there was a conspiracy, that it was pervasive throughout the FBI. Which is exactly where I wanted to go next because we we have this first press conference. We're going to see Sarah Sanders in that you know White House briefing room momentarily. You know. Let me let me just go out on a limb. Uh, everyone, and, and, and assume that, that they're going to take this victory lap, right? You, you, we keep hearing these words, witch hunt, uh, from the president. You know, she'll say it's justified. Well, they just pushed the uh, briefing back to 245, Brooks, so I think they're, they're loading more cannonballs uh, into the cannons over here uh, to respond to this IG report. Obviously, this is a big embarrassment for the FBI uh, to have these texts going back and forth uh, talking about stopping Trump uh, during the 2016 election. That, that is obviously an embarrassment. But the FBI and the White House is likely to seize on that and say, you know, this is an example of what the president is up against and, and justifying all the president's tweets up until now, uh, saying that the Justice Department and the FBI have been biased against. Yeah, the pounce. We're on to the pounce already. We're pouncing, seizing. Katie Pavlich, so is Obama still going with this whole my administration and no scandal thing? Because, laugh out loud, the Associated Press the only thing they published yesterday, breaking. None of this report impugns the integrity of the FBI as a whole, FBI Director Ray says of Inspector General report. Of course he's going to say that, because it's really bad. Hillary had the balls to tweet on this. IG found that on numerous occasions, Comey used a personal Gmail account to conduct official FBI businesses, according to sources briefed. She tweeted, but my emails. Oh, you fucking douche. Charles W. Cook. Yes, your emails. That Comey did it too doesn't change what you did in any way. Such a Clintonian reaction. And we go to the Daily Wire summation. It's pretty good. 12 things you need to know about this Inspector General damning report of the FBI Hillary Trump conduct. The Department of Justice Inspector General report on the FBI handling of the Hillary Clinton email investigation is a damning indictment. Despite its attempt to paint most of the actions that the FBI is inherently reasonable, they simply don't come off that way. Here are the most important points. Number one, FBI agent Page and Zork texted about stopping Trump. As already reported, Zork texted that he would stop it, it being Trump's election. This is a damning indictment of his political bias. The IG report found that the text potentially indicated or created the appearance that investigative decisions were impacted by bias or improper consideration. 
The report added, it's not only indicative of a biased state of mind, but even more seriously implies a willingness to take action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospect. This is antithetical to the core values of the FBI and the Department of Justice. The report found that the Hillary investigation was not adversely impacted by Zorker Page's decision-making, but that this report did not cover the Russia investigation. Two, Comey concluded that he let Hillary off in spring 2016. While Comey didn't announce his decision until July 2016, he made the decision in spring 2016 that Hillary was off the hook. He also determined that he would make an independent announcement in order to protect a sense of justice more broadly in the country, that things are fair, not fixed, and they're done independently. He threatened to appoint a special counsel, but never seriously considered it, according to the report. Number three, Comey watered down his draft statement on Hillary dramatically. The original draft statement on Hillary said she'd been grossly negligent and extremely careless. The statement was changed from reasonably likely that Hillary had been hacked by hostile actors to possible. And finally, the original statement mentioned that President Obama had been in email exchange with Hillary. His name was removed. That shows it goes all the way to the top, folks. We've shown tweets that it did, I mean, text that it did go to the top. Obama knew all this stuff. He knew about her email. He fucking lied. Four, Cormie is a glory hound. Already knew that. Five, the DOJ and FBI changed the law to exonerate Hillary. The IG said that based on precedent, Hillary would have to have to have demonstrated a state of mind that was so gross as to almost suggest deliberate intention. That's not part of the law. That's not what the code said. That's what we conservatives have been saying since this started. Six, the FBI wildly botched the reopening of the Hillary case. Seven, the FBI agents prioritized the Russia investigation above the Hillary investigation reopening. According to the report, the FBI failure to act in late September or early October is even less justifiable when contrasted with the attention of source resources, the FBI management, and some members of the mid-year term team, sorry, they called it the mid-year investigation instead of the Hillary investigation, dedicated to other activities in connection with the mid-year investigation during the same period. What was the FBI focused on? A Comey speech that would fight back against public perception of the July 5th announcement and the Russia investigation. The IG report explains, moreover, given the FBI's extensive resources, the fact that Zork and several other FBI members of the mid-year team had been assigned to the Russia investigation, which was extremely active during the September and October time period, was not an excuse for failing to take any action during this time period on the Wiener laptop and assessed the decision to prioritize Russia over mid-year related investigation led discovered on the Wiener laptop we were particularly concerned about text messages sent by Zork and Page that potentially indicated or created the parents that investigative decisions they made were impacted by bias or improper consideration. Most of the text messages raised such questions pertaining to the Russian investigation, and the implication in some of these text messages, certainly Zork's August 8th text message, will stop Trump, was that Zork might be willing to take official actions to impact the presidential candidates' less electoral prospects. Under these circumstances, we do not have confidence that Zork's decision to prioritize Russia over 
Hillary related investigation led discovered on the Wiener laptop from free from bias. Basically sat on Wiener's laptop. He did nothing with it. He knew it was there, but he didn't care because he was going after Trump. Eight. Comey revealed the reopened investigation to Congress because he thought Hillary was going to win and he wanted to preserve her legitimacy. This is what the report explicitly said. We found that his decision was a result of several interrelated factors that were connected to his concern that failing to send the letter would harm the FBI and its ability to lead it, and his view that candidate Clinton was going to win the presidency and that she would be perceived to be an illegitimate president if the public first learned of the information after the election. Not his job. He's not even supposed to think about politics. Nine, five separate agents sent pro-Clinton, anti-Trump text, many of which implied using official authority to target Trump. The IG report is brutal. Not only does it state that these five agents discussed their support of Clinton, but that they appeared to mix political opinions with discussions about the mid-year investigation. One agent texted that no one is going to prosecute Hillary Clinton even if we find unique classified. After the discovery of Wiener's laptop, Page texts about the possibility of interviewing Clinton with fewer agents in the room since she might be our next president. To which Zork agreed, Page texted Zork, maybe you're meant to stay where you are because you're meant to protect the country from that menace. To which Zork responded, I'll try and approach it that way. I can protect our country at many levels. Not sure if that helps. Zork texted Page, we'll stop it being Trump's election. Zork texted Page about an insurance policy against a Trump victory, then excused it by saying he was just pushing for a quicker investigation. Another FBI attorney texted, Viva la resistance, after the election. After the election, Zork texted regarding the special counsel investigation. For me in this case, I personally have a sense of unfinished business. Yeah. That's why we're still doing a Russia investigation that's produced nothing. Ten. Comey, Zork, and Page use personal emails to conduct FBI business. Perhaps this is why they went easy on Hillary, because that's what she did. Eleven. FBI, FBI employees leaked to the press regularly. According to the IG report, we identified numerous FBI employees at all levels of organization and with no official reason to be in contact with the media who were nevertheless in frequent contacts with reporters. FBI agents received benefits from reporters as well as golf outings, drinks, and meals, which is in direct violation of their code of conduct. And lastly, former Assistant Attorney General Peter Kudzik should have recused himself. While Hillary was under investigation, Kudzik Kudzik, tried to get his son a job on Hillary's campaign. He also sent an email to John Podesta, head of the Clinton campaign, which included the schedule of the release of the Clinton emails in a FOIA litigation. What the f- Fuck! And that's not all of it. Jamie Dupree, IG. Too much social contact between FBI employees and reporters, exactly. 
what it said. In addition, we identified instances where FBI employees improperly received benefits from reporters, including tickets to sporting events, golfing outings, drinks and meals, and admittance to non-public social events. We will separately report on those investigations as they are concluded, consistent with the Inspector General Act, other applicable federal statutes, and the OIG policy. He also tweeted, April, May, and October 2016, we have have profound concerns about the volume and extent of unauthorized media contacts, contacts by FBI personnel that we have uncovered during our review. In addition, we identified instances where FBI employees improperly received other things as of gifts. The harm caused by leaks, fear of potential leaks, and a culture of unauthorized media contact is illustrated in Chapter 10 and 11 of our report, where we detail the fact that these issues influence FBI officials who are advising Comey, Comey on consequential, consequential investigative decisions in October 2016. Yeah, so these people were getting free shit from the reporters who all want to hit Hillary to win, and they were advising Comey. Nice. Catherine Heritage found this, an Adam Shaw report, foreign actors obtain access to some of Hillary Clinton's emails, including at least one email classified as secret. According to a new memo from two GOP-led House committees and internal FBI emails, documents provided to the committee show foreign actors obtained access to some of Ms. Clinton's emails, including at least one email classified secret. The memo says, adding that foreign actors also accessed the private accounts of some Clinton staffers. The memo does not say who the foreign actors are or what material was obtained, but it notes that secret information is defined as information that is closed could reasonably be expected to cause serious damage to national security. Yet, Comey went on TV and said they that she wasn't hacked by foreign actors. But they knew it to be true. Hmm. Another one, Chuck Ross, a top FBI attorney, was quietly removed from the Mueller team in February. Inspector General found that he sent Viva La Resistance text and other text criticizing Trump. An FBI attorney worked on the special counsel's Russian investigation until early this year, sent anti-Trump text messages to colleagues, including one exclaiming, Viva La Resistance. The attorney's comments are revealed in a Justice Department Inspector General report released on Thursday. I am numb, the attorney wrote. On November 9th, 2016, the day after Trump was elected. I am so stressed about what I could have done differently, the lawyer continued, apparently referring to the FBI handling of the Clinton email probe. No bias, though. These law-abiding career FBI agents, beyond reproach, the media says. Another... Comey said that he recalled first learning about the additional emails on the Wiener laptop at some point in early October, although he said it was possible that it could occur in September. Comey told the OIG that this information didn't index with him, which he attributes to the way the information was presented to him and the fact that I don't know what I knew that Werner was married to Yuma Abedin at the time. That's a total fucking lie. You know it's a lie. Sean Davis. According to IG, Comey claimed that he didn't know Wiener and Yuma Abedin were married when he was told about the 347,000 Clinton-related emails discovered in Wiener's laptop in September. 
Stephen Miller, in response to finding classified information emailed and forwarded to Gmail and Yahoo accounts by Mills, Aberdeen, and Sullivan. And this is super damning. We asked several witnesses why they did not obtain a devices used by Sullivan, Mills, and Aberdeen, both as a means of searching for evidence of the mishandling of classified information by Clinton and her aides and to prevent further compromise of classified information. Both Zork and Anderson told us that at the outset of the investigation, former Deputy Director Giuliano generally advised the team that the purpose of the investigation was not to follow every potential lead of classified information. Did you catch that? It was just eyewash. They were instructed by Obama just to eyewash this. I don't care what anybody says. We have text saying Obama, the White House, is running this. And now you have people telling their team, don't follow every lead. We're just, we're just doing this. Doesn't really matter. Cause now we know Comey had already made the decision in spring 2016. Nothing's gonna happen. We're just gonna do that to show that we're not favoring a candidate over another candidate. But they were favoring a candidate over a candidate. Sork stated that Guliana told the team this is not going to become some octopus. The focus of the investigation, the appearance of classified information on Clinton's personal emails and that server during the time she was Secretary of State. Sork further stated that the FBI purpose of mission was not to pursue spilled information to the ends of the earth and that the task of cleaning up classified spills by State Department employees referred to back to the State Department. He told us that the FBI focus was whether there was a violation of federal law. Why would they have it on their personal shit? If all her people had classified information on their personal devices, that's a violation too, which the FBI is supposed to be enforcing. But they don't want to know that. Oh, we don't care. Doesn't really matter. Other stuff. We also questioned the failure obtained of Aberdeen's devices, despite that according to Aberdeen's FD-302, Aberdeen told the FBI that she turned both her personal laptop and her personal BlackBerry over to her attorney to be reviewed for production of work-related emails to the State Department and the inconsistencies between the decision not to seek Aberdeen's device before the July de- declination and the decision to obtain a search warrant for emails on the laptop. Both Zork and Prosecutor 2 told us that the decision not to obtain Senior A's devices was a joint decision. Prosecutor 1 and 2 and Zork further told us that the team did not obtain Aberdeen's laptop or BlackBerry that she used during employment at the State Department, even after she told the FBI that she gave those devices to attorneys because the State Department provided to the FBI Aberdeen's work-related emails that attorneys produced from those devices. So just like Hillary, Hillary was authorized to produce her own shit, and she still produced classified information. All her people were allowed to hand it to their attorneys scrub them, delete them, and hand over whatever the fuck they want. Now, just for a second, liberals, step out of your fucking partisan hats. Would that be okay for Bush people? Scooter Libby? If Trump was under investigation for using a private server, would it be okay for Trump and his lawyers to cherry-pick the emails they submit to the FBI? Would you be okay with that? I know the answer. That's a no. Yeah. Then on August 6th, 6th, in an exchange 
On August 6, 2016, Page forwarded Zork a news article relating to Trump's criticism of the cons. The Gold Star family appeared on the Democratic National Convention and stated, Jesus, you should read this, and Trump should go fuck himself. Zork responded favorably by the article and added, and fuck Trump. Page replied, so this is not to take away from the unfairness of it all, but we are both deeply fortunate people. She then sent another text message, and maybe you're meant to stay where you are because you're meant to protect the country from that menace. To that end, read this and forward, read this and forwarded a David Brooks column from the New York Times about Trump's enablers in the Republican Party who had not opposed Trump. Sork responded, thanks, it's absolutely true. That we're both very fortunate. And of course, I'll try and approach it that way. I just know it'll be tough at times. I can protect our country at many level, many levels. Not sure if that helps. Stephen Miller. This is nuts. Clinton is on tape prior to this interview several times stating there was no classified information. They knew this was a lie going into the interview and just wrote it off. Mrs. Clinton, were you aware there was classified information on your server? No. Okay, so Comey and gang decided to exonerate Clinton in spring because of lack of evidence that they didn't even bother to collect because of the desire to complete the investigation well before the election. The fix was in. FBI interviewers referred to Hillary as the president in July 2016. On July 6, 2016, four days after Clinton interview, Agent One sent an instant message in which he stated that he was done interviewing the president, referring to Clinton. We asked Agent 1 if he thought of Clinton as the next president while conducting the mid-year investigation. Agent 1 stated, I think my impression going into the election is that in, in that personal realm is that all of the polls were favoring Hillary. We asked Agent 1 if he treated Clinton differently because of this assumption. Agent 1 stated, absolutely not. I think the message they said that our leadership told us and our actions was to find whatever there was, whatever, whatever that means, is what it means. But we didn't actually do that. We didn't follow the tentacles like we would if there was a conservative. Jennifer Jacobs, Inspector General, reports says Comey damaged the perception of the FBI and the de- department as a fair administrator of justice. IG found a troubling lack of any direct substantive communication between Comey and Lynch ahead of the July press conference and Comey October letter to Congress. Extraordinary that in advance of two such consequential decisions, Comey never spoke to Lynch. Not the first time the DOJ and the FBI have conducted a politically charged investigation. It will not be the last, IG report says. Policies are in place to protect the institution from allegations of abuse, political interference, and biased enforcement of law. Kyle Cheney, IG found that on numerous occasions, Comey used a personal Gmail account to conduct official business, according to sources briefed on the report. Before to cut of that, they have five different examples that he was talking about this important shit with classified material. Hmm. Probably why he didn't care. J.D. Dunkirk will stop Trump from being president. Game over. This is everything. The president and his allies on the Hill need to spin cycle on this thing and write it to perpetuity. He's a liberal. Manu Raju. GP going after Sork hard after release of the IG port, saying his role taints Russia probe and he should have been fired. Gowdy, Jordan, and Meadows all raise Zork concerns. Meadows is extremely concerning. There's still some people, mainly Zork, employed at the FBI. Jennifer Jacob, several FBI employees who play critical roles in the investigation, said political message. IG reports cites. 
It cites Lisa Page, Zork. Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right, Zork? No. No, he's not. We'll stop it. Chuck Ross. Interesting, because this text is not among the thousands that have been released. They never released those texts. They never wanted us to see them. Ben Shapiro. This is batshit insane. And how in the world does the IG come up with the idea that political bias didn't affect the Hillary investigation with these texts? As you heard, the media doesn't want to cover this. They were part of it. They were whining and dining FBI agents to come with nothing. We want Hillary. An informal poll online with 15,000 people voting? Which publication will run the Republicans' pounce and overreach over FBI agents texting? They'll stop Trump. 47% said CNN. What did CNN run? The only thing they ran yesterday online? Republicans aren't happy about new texts between two FBI officials. Somebody tweeted, CNN, why does this public distrust us so fucking much? Also, CNN. That tweet. Marie, dear CNN, how about you report the American people what the IG report says instead of how Trump GOP will spin it? J.J. Johnson, how about nobody should be happy about it? It shows a political bias at the top FBI official, Republican or Democrat, and all Americans should be upset. Jonathan Chait spun big time. Am I the only person who suspects that only two words of his his quote have been leaked because the broader context softened changes the meaning? The Washington Post is an extraordinary newspaper, but blaring this obviously hand-fed scoop is irresponsible. One, the leak of the two-word snippet from a text conversation just screams taken out of context. What other context could there be? Ask yourself, why wasn't the entire conversation leaked? At least a sentence, a phrase. Two, the Republican counter-investigation has leaked claims after claim that have melted away upon inspection. How many times do you give proven liars the benefit of the doubt? They haven't melted away. This just verified everything they said. That Zork, Comey, other five fucking people, and Zork, and Page, and Comey were Team Hillary. It is now proven Three, the agents in questions did not, in fact, stop Trump from winning. They didn't even try. Just the opposite. They kept the investigation of him secret from the voters while announcing his opponent was under investigation. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. If it turns out this time the counter-investigation only has something real, you can always publish it when they produce the goods. Two words is not the goods. You're being used. They got a little more context here, but it's not clear who we is. Those two, the FBI, the voters. Then there's Chuck Todd. The cherry-picking of this report is likely to only compound the credibility damage for the FBI and DOJ. Even as the report itself, taken in full, is a good-faith attempt to restore credibility. But political agendas are going to prevent some from providing full context. Somebody tweeted, Chuck knows this report is bad. Really bad. It's really bad for you, Chuck. Another one. Yeah, I like the fact the FBI called Trump retarded, or that they'll stop him, or that they took bribes from journalists like you, Chuck. 
Damn cherry-picking assholes. Jake Pack Tapper started out good, and he went bad. These are stunning texts from FBI officials to have written Lisa Page. Not ever going to become president, right? Right. Peter Sork, no, no, no. We'll stop it. But then he went bad. DIG found no documentary or testimonial evidence directly connecting the political views these employees expressed in their text messages and instant messages, decisions made about Clinton investigation through July 2016 conclusion. Yet IG also said those political views from De- Deputy Assistant Director Zork and Special Counsel Page expressed in text messages cast a cloud over the FBI investigation to which these employees were assigned. The IG is very specific about that, though, saying no evidence that anything impacted the decisions through July 2016 when announcement made to not prosecute Clinton. Of this August 2016 text, the IG is quite critical. Page, no, 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 all that bullshit. IG states that exchange is not only indicative of a biased state of mind, but even more seriously implies a willingness to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral prospect. This is antithetical to the core values of the FBI. Moreover, and this is complicated once to say with me, the IG suggests that Sork may have had bias and impacted a decision to not prioritize the Wiener computer, though how this went down may have ultimately hurt Hillary. So he's trying to make it, this was good for you Trumpers. IG says we do not have confidence that Sork's decision to prioritize the Russian investigation over the mid-year investigation led to discover on the Wiener laptop was free from bias. IG specifically mentioned that we'll stop it and says Sork might be willing to take official action to impact the presidential candidate's electoral process, but how it played out in the exact opposite. Wiener Laptat sat there from September 29th through October 27th. IG believes the only thing that prompted FBI to finally act on the Wiener Laptop were people outside the FBI from U.S. Attorney SDNY asking about it. IG makes it clear he doesn't believe any of the other explanations as to why the FBI acted before the end of October. He calls them unpersuasive. The FBI had all the information needed on September 29th to obtain the search warrant that it did not seek until more than a month later. The FBI neglected and had potentially far-reaching consequences. Page 330. What were those far-reaching consequences? Comey going public with the warrant, notifying Congress, and perhaps impacting the election. IG says this quite clearly. Comey told the OIG that had he known about the laptop at the beginning of October and thought the email review could have been completed before the election and may have affected his decision to notify Congress. Comey told the OIG, I don't know if it would have put us in a different place, but I would have wanted to have the opportunity. In other words, IG suspects Sork was biased against Trump and that may have influenced the decision to sit on the Wiener laptop for a month, which it might have ultimately set a course of events in motion that cost Clinton, his preferred candidate, the presidency. No tweets about how this is all fucked up and it looks bad. That, that's not coming out of the media. The Nation magazine, though, a super liberal Katrina Vandehoeven organization, the Mueller indictments still don't add up to collusion. This is worse than I ever could have believed. And the only ramification is five employees are under investigation. They won't say who they are, who said those horrible things. And they're going to do bias training. That's it. 
That's all that's going to come out of this. Nothing major. Folks, this is what it is. The media is downplaying it because they know how bad it is. This shows they never investigated Hillary's emails. And you can justify the American people didn't vote for Hillary because of the Wiener laptop and the October announcement. But I I tell you, I don't think that the results have been different. Normal Americans knew she got over. Normal Americans knew she got preferred treatment. Normal Americans saw that everybody in the Obama administration, everybody in Washington, and the media establishment didn't want Trump. And they did whatever they can. And what's being buried, because it is about the media, why was the media bribing FBI agents? They try to imply in every article I read, it's so they could get scoops. I don't think that's what it was. I think they were bribing them to deep six this shit. And that's exactly what they did. That they admit that they were directed not to follow the tentacles into her people and find out where all this sensitive data was going to shows that this investigation was a fucking sham. It was a sham. Because any other investigation on secretive items or misappropriation of documents goes all the way. But I tell you, this is the norm. We can remember the guy from Clinton got caught shoving sensitive material in his pants. Nothing happened to him. Nothing. And during all this, we have added CIA agents during the Obama administration, FBI agents in the Obama administration, There's no scooter libering. Nobody's going to jail. It just proves to me what I've been seeing forever. For the media and for Washington, if you have a D behind your name, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Whatever you want. And the defending of Obama still in the media. I have yet to see an article, Obama lied. Because he did. The IG report just proved it that once again, Obama was communicating via email with Hillary Clinton from a private server, and he went on national TV and fucking lied, and nobody pressed him. Every interview, nobody pressed him. And now we see once again that Obama ran this investigation, just like he ran everything else in his administration. Democrats can do whatever they want. You go after those conservatives. He went after the conservatives of the IRS with the GSA investigation, Fast and Furious, Benghazi. Everything he did was political to make the Democrats look good. He let Hillary off because she was a Democrat. That was his guidance to the FBI. And that's illegal. He should have been impeached. It's more than Nixon did. And he's getting away with it. But finally, 
Russian investigations just cease immediately. It's clearly obvious everybody involved in the Russian investigation is just a Hillary flack. There is no teeth to it. You produce nothing. Nothing. We are not... What, what the fuck are we now? July. We're almost two years. Two years from opening in a Russian investigation. You found nothing. There is no collusion. It is just a political witch hunt. And right now, after this report, I'm sorry to say to you, my statement before, doesn't matter what they bring up, I'll never believe it, holds true. I don't believe anything they come up with. The FBI is a biased organization. And all we heard in our media during that time is how they're all a bunch of fucking conservatives. Well, it's clearly obvious that wasn't the case. The case is, you didn't even investigate a woman who violated federal law. You let her walk. Yet, we produced on this podcast how many fucking sailors, soldiers have gone to jail for one picture. It's a sham. More to follow on this next podcast. Let's go to news, social, media, nuggets.
Bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. This, this is this is something, man. This is this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself... to be in a Marine and moving from place to place. I have a lot of veterans around me and it's not an accident. Shooting music is an unexplainable energy that the only thing that I could find that would be similar is to be engaged in a firefight or racing a dirt bike in the Baja. When I go on stage, like everything is in slow motion. For me, that's the calm. That energy was coming off of the crowd you know, you can't replace them. I fight jiu-jitsu right before I go out of the mat. It's, everything gets silent. Everything gets kind of like a meditative state. It's, a, it's an even energy. And you just let your training execute the things. Nick is um, part of the team. He's a former Marine. Those guys just don't fail. Zoltan gives very clear directions. And for somebody like me, that's something that I attract to. You never take a step back. You always advance. 
We traveled all over the world, Iraq, Kuwait, in the middle of the, you know, the chaos there. And that audience is very special because, you know, we're bringing a piece of home to the guys. After a long period of time, you want to go home. And then once you're home, it's like, oh my God, you miss the controlled chaos and you miss the uncontrolled chaos as well. It, there, is, there is this noise of life that's happening to you. I remember having a few people in the Marines that I looked up to very, very much and made me to be a better Marine. And, and Zoltan is that to me here at home. There's a certain level of professionalism you can expect. He knows what goes where and he's exactly where he's supposed to be in the moment. I absolutely fell in love with this job and it gave me a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging that I had lost when I left the Marine Corps. And I haven't looked back. Great soundbite brought to you once again by Matt in Oregon, my bro. And I did not know this, but this is pretty cool how the U.S. military gave Five Finger Death Punch a huge boost. Metal fans and diehard opinions on bands they love and bands they hate, regardless of which side of the line Five Finger Death Punch falls for you, there's one group that connects like no other, troops of the United States military. Maybe it's their firmly anti-communist point of view. Five Finger Death Punch founder Zoltan Bathory was born in Soviet-dominated Hungary and appreciates American democracy on another level. Or maybe it's because they never forgot, page three, sorry, troops or law enforcement. Bathory even assisted a cop on a free one one time. It may also be because of all the songs they write specifically for soldiers. According to Stereo Gum, if Billboard Top 200 was still based purely on album sales, Five Finger Death Punch would have had the number one album in 2016. When adjusted for streaming sales, they were still a close second. The band debuted at number two with their three previous albums and the number three with their 2011 album, American Capitalist. Look at their album titles. A Decade of a Destruction, Got Your Six, War is the Answer, Way of the Fist, Preemptive Strike. It's clear that the fighting men and women of the United States are never far from their minds or their work. That might have something to do with all the USO shows, where they performed for our troops in combat zones like Iraq. When we were over in Iraq playing our USO tour, I had one soldier come up to me and he laid a burnt iPod down on the table. He didn't ask me to sign it. He wanted me to keep it. I looked at him a bit funny at first. He told me one of his closest friends went out on a mission and didn't make it back. Let's leave it at that. When they found him and his things, his iPod was stuck on the bleeding. The last thing he was listening to before he went was one of their songs. I literally teared up, including war imagery and songs and playing for the troops is nothing new, but Five Finger Death Punch takes it a step further by employing a slew of veterans on their shows, tours, and other material. They raise money for PTSD awareness through a merchant site, which also offers links to get help. They even help U.S. combat vets fight poachers in um, Africa. Their affection for veterans earned them the Soldiers Appreciation War, 
Award from the Association of the United States Army and dog tags donated from the military veteran fans to adorn their walls of heroes and soaring album sales from the troops who love them. Beyond writing songs for troops and performing in USO tours, Five Finger Death Punch is there for veterans long after they get out of the military. Unbelievable, man. I did not know this shit. From another article... Uh, but the dominating message of the album is violent rage and alienation from society. The first single, Jekyll and Hyde, began with the words, There's just so much goddamn weight on my shoulders. All I'm trying to do is live my motherfucking life. Supposed to be happy, but I'm only getting old, colder. Wear a smile on my face, but there's a demon inside. The song, My Nemesis, includes a line, Don't need the memory, always wear the scars. And hell to pay begins, feeling I'm running in place. A pa- past the can of race. I'm breaking, breaking apart. I know they're after me. It's like I'm fading away. They look it. They took it all away. Left nothing. Nothing but scars. And it makes it so hard to breathe. And I guess a lot of their lyrics are based on soldier stuff. So I thought that was really neat. Thanks, bro. Um, I love them. I bought the new album. Way ahead. Got a shirt. Can't wear it in public because Gigi won't let me. But I'll wear it mowing the lawn. Um, Great band, good stuff. So they were our artists of the day, and you got three great songs from them. Next article, watch a U.S. Army tank crew lay waste an epic crush car-crushing competition, and it was in Grafenvir, and all the nations came together and crushed cars. Love it. I was going to play a sound bite, but all you're going to hear is a tank gunning its engine. Army is testing out strongest and lightest combat helmet yet, just over a year after announcing a much-needed update to the 15-year-old ACH. The Army is testing out an even stronger and lighter combat helmet. An official claim offers rifle protection comparable to current ballistic options at a 40% reduction in weight. Made from ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene, rather than the traditional Kevlar, the NSRDEC prototype helmet weighs just 3.25 pounds, well below the ACH's 3.5, and integrates head protection system, 3.25 pounds, and 5.77 pounds with ballistic mandible. The protected helmet demonstrates a new capability for increased rifle protection and about 40% reduction and wait, and I would not have a fucked up neck if we had that. You put nods on top of it, man, your neck gets fucked up from all night patrols. Dawn, or sunset to dawn, infiltrations to attacks. Sweet Jesus, your neck gets fucked up. And our last one is the Air Force flew this awesome A-10 over Normandy this D-Day. The Michigan Air National Guard 107th Fighter Squadron flew a specially painted A-10C Warthog over the beaches of Normandy on June 5th, 2018 to commemorate the 74th annual or 74th anniversary of D-Day invasion. D-Day is one of the largest amphibious military assaults in history, with 156,000 Allied troops landing on five beaches, about 13,000 paratroopers dropped behind German lines. And the 107th, which took part in the invasion, flew a pair of A-10s, multiple C-10 or C-130 Hercules, and even dropped paratroopers over the beach of Normandy to commemorate the historic event. It was the first time the 107th was assigned a mission to France since World War II. The special paint was to mimic the P-51 Mustangs. And um, the 107th did a lot of missions, and there's a whole bunch of data they put out on this, but way sexy, and as everybody knows, if you listen to the show, I I get a little chubber over A-10s. Uh, in combat, they did some serious damage for us, and 
that thing coming over your head, screaming, blowing shit up, is blood-curdling. It's fucking awesome, and it's scary to see what it does to the enemy, but you love it when it happens. Thus, it's in our Fire for Effect soundbite. That's that sound. Yeah, for those that aren't military. Uh, that is the aircraft with, of course, Apaches and Artie and machine guns and, yeah, a bunch of shit. So, to our college crazy... University of Michigan caves after DOJ calls speech policies unconstitutional. Covered this on a show a while back. University of Michigan revises policies to add additional safeguards for free speech Monday, the same day the Department of Justice endorsed a First Amendment lawsuit against the school. University of Michigan had repeatedly insisted that both the original lawsuit and the DOJ assessment of the case misinterpreted its policies, but now claim that it has begun its review and will fix it. So good for free speech. Georgetown calls out called out for urging donations to left-wing groups. Georgetown University Law School Library appeared to have taken down a web page encouraging students to donate time and money to a list of left-wing activist groups after more than 13,000 people signed a petition against it. The page, which was part of a guide on the history of civil rights in America, directed students who wished to resist oppression to groups such as Planned Parenthood who killed babies... SPLC, which is just a fucking hate group itself, and Lambda. Also, NARAL, Now, Emily List, were part of it. And, yeah, that's all sorts of fucked up. Professor says feminists have every right to hate men. The director of Northeastern University Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies Program claim it is logical to hate men, asserting that it's time for feminists to go all Thelma and Louise on their collective butts. In her op-ed for the Washington Post, Suzanne Denuda Walters, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, argues that men can only redeem themselves by pledging to vote for feminist women only and refusing to be in charge of anything. Okay. Get right on that. Professor, viewpoint, diversity, just Trojan horse for racism. Goddamn. Objectivity, bad. Last podcast, diversity's bad now. Okay. University of Tennessee, Knoxville, sociology professor, argues in a recent op-ed that conservatives who advocate for diversity of thought in higher education are really just using it as a Trojan horse for white identity politics. According to Victor Ray, conservative ideas are actually hegemonic, on college campuses and support for diversity of thought is just a political project aimed at making racist and misogynists. One of his premises, a second false premise that promoters so-called diversity of thought rely upon is that conservative ideas are marginalized in higher education when in fact they are ubiquitous. He asserts going on to claim that there's a political dominance of conservatives thought in higher education. Oh, Really? The last faulty premise the Ray attributes to viewpoint diversity advocates is the very idea that conservative thought is diverse. What is diverse about a body of thought reliable and supportive of reactionary status quo? Asked Ray, asserting that these advocates go out of their way to denigrate people of color or women and attack trans people for simply existing. Okay. I'm attacking trans people when I say, yeah, no, not into that. It's a lifestyle. You can do it, but no. You can't shit next to my grandkid. 
ex-vice producer reportedly wanted to pay for abortion to film it. Yeah, this is right. While many in the media frequently try to dig up stories about politicians paying for abortion, it turns out one of their own reportedly reportedly offered to do the same in order to film it. According to an expose on Vice Media, a former producer at the outlet attempted to pay for one woman's abortion under the condition that Vice could film it. In a piece for New York Magazine on Sunday, contributing editor Reeves Weidman revealed that Vice fired the producer after the 2015 incident. The offer came when a Vice... When a vice on HBO associate producer began looking into abortion restrictions that were being put in place in Texas, including a ban on per- procedures more than 20 weeks in pregnancy. In 2015, wrote Weidman, there was no word on whether or not that meant the producer specifically wanted to film the abortion of an unborn baby around 20 weeks. The producer told a woman that vice would pay for abortion if she was willing to be filmed. Weidman continued, but the plan was nixed when the producer's manager found out about it and the producer was fired. Vice on HBO has trend of putting cameras in controversial places. In 2016, Vice and HBO paired up to capture a woman dying on camera from assisted suicide. That doesn't surprise me. None of it. Google redefines family in a video promoting LGBTQ activists. Oh, it's even worse than the egg and the fucking salad emoji. A pot of gold isn't the only thing at the end of the rainbow. Google is there as well. The number one search company has found its own way to be part of Pride Month this year by partnering with three LGBTQ EIEIO activist organizations. Google is working to encourage donations to, be, to groups GLAD, PFLAG, and the It Gets Better project. A part of the collaboration with these groups, the company released a video advertising its own definition of family. Presented as a message of inclusion and love, the promotion functions more like a frontal attack on the traditional family. At Google admits in the description, it wants to encourage people to challenge traditional views of family in the video and in every aspect of Google Pride page. Traditional values are assaulted head on. The video depicts Olivia, who is, of course, of two moms, a young boy who has two dads, and Sabelle, spelled phonetically, who was rejected by her family for contracting HIV. Her true family, video says, are the two women who accepted her every day since she got the disease. Google claims to be partnering with these organizations to help LGBTQ, EIEIO, cosign of four people who are striving for full equality. I don't see how they don't have full equality, but go ahead. The specific issue of equality for Google are the same-sex marriages, the right to change legal gender, same-sex adoption rights, and anti-LGBTQ, EIEIO, cosign of four discrimination. The com- com- company is supposedly all about tolerance claiming that they aim to build a more inclusive family narrative that both reflects the celebrates the life experience of the community. Keeping in mind that people it is partnering with, one wonders whether they are really honest about being loving and inclusive. The It Gets Better project can trace its origin to Dan Savage, a man who is verbally abusive to conservatives who specializes in ridiculing Catholics. Sarah Kate Ellis, the president and CEO of GLAAD, the media police for all things gay, thinks 13% of 2017 movies featuring gay characters just isn't enough. That's not really a logical argument as liberal estimate, liberals estimate now the LGBTQ population is only 4% now. Wow, that's down. These people and the organizations they represent display an attitude marked more by conquest of the traditional value and less about tolerance. You know, if it is down, I think it's because a lot, like I said, is people want an intention. So now maybe the transgender shit's going less because it's mainstream. It's not cool anymore. Now kids will want to be goats. 
Come on, go. Atlantic writer claims boys not feminine enough. The best way for a boy to be a boy is for him to be like a girl. At least that's the argument being made by some liberals. On June 11th, the Atlantic posted a story written by author and writer Sarah Rich called Today's Masculinity is Stifling. In the article, after taking about talking about her cross-dressing son, Rich lamented society's aversion to boys being feminine and accused the culture, saying this attitude is a sign of misogynistic principles. To embrace anything feminine, if you're not biologically female, causes discomfort and confusion, wrote Rich. Her explanation being that throughout most of history and in most parts of the world, being a woman has been a disadvantage. She argued that since the culture attitude is boyish girls are badass and girlish boys are embarrassing, masculinity is overly favored in today's society. But in answer to this misogyny, she emphasized the worth of feminine qualities, not so that society would see the value of girls embracing womanhood, but instead so that parents would allow their boys to be girls. What I want for him, her son, and for all boys, is for the process of becoming men to be expansive, not reducive. What she did not elaborate on and how she defines a man. She insists on wanting her son to be more of a man while at the same time destroying the difference between men and women. Ultimately, Rich is just confused. She calls her parents, teachers, and community members to build a culture of boyhood that fosters empathy, communication, caretaking, and cooperation virtues that are not exclusively feminine. In addition to her disordered argument, she implied that if people would follow her advice, there'd be less mass shooting. So if your boy is trans, he won't shoot people. Wow, that's a stretch. Nature says we need more diverse scientists to improve science. They they present no scientific fact, though. Last week, Nature, one of the most prominent and prestigious journalists in science, ran an insane editorial calling for diversity in science. Why, you might ask, does the skin color of a sexually oriented or the sexual orientation of a scientist have anything to do with science? It doesn't. But we know it's good for science to be diverse because shut up, you're a fucking bigot. <laughs> That's a good article. Their editorial editorial begins with a ringing call for more scientists from more backgrounds. Labs, groups, departments, universities, and national funders should encourage participation in science for as many sectors of possible, possible population as possible. It's the right thing to do. But morally... And to help build a sustainable future for research that truly represents society. All this just fine. The more scientists, the merrier. But then the editorial begins to get weird. A, more representative workforce is more likely to pursue questions about raw problems that go beyond the narrow slice of humanity that much of science, biomedical science in particular, is currently set up to serve. Widening the focus is essential if publicly funded research is to protect the preserve its mandate to work to improve society it never defines why this is important hmm. but caught within all this craziness Connecticut parents launched petition to restrict athlete competition by birth gender holy shit in Connecticut Connecticut state championship for girls track and field some participant launched some parents launched a petition to make sure that competitions are restricted to athletes who are the same gender at birth. The Hartford Current reported that Bianca Stanescu, whose daughter Celine Sule finished 6th in the 100-meter state open final, was circulating one petition at track meets. 
her page freeze. What is wrong today? Petition asks state legislator to require athletes to compete in sports based on their gender at birth unless the athlete has undergone hormone therapy. Soleil herself said, I think it's unfair to the girls who work really hard to do well and qualify for Opens in New England's. These girls are just coming in and beating everyone. I have no problem with them wanting to be a girl. The current reports that the second petition was created by Jeremy Lee, whose son runs in Plainville. The petition was sent to all high school athletes director in the state. The two transgender athletes, Terry Miller and Andrea Yearwood, dominated the 100 and 200-yard dash. Miller won the first place in the 100 and 200-meter. Andrea took second in a 100-meter dash. As of June, they only have... 160 and 188 people signing it. But the problem is both Terry and Andrea are boys. Yeah. I can see the problem. Hormones and all. Former NFL cheerleader says she was canned for this Instagram photo. Pretty crazy. She was wearing a laced outfit at a party. It went on her Instagram. They fired her for showing nudity. Hmm. Airline says Vortex set plane in a terrifying nosedive. Hundreds of horrified travelers held hands, believing they were about to die as this aircraft suddenly dropped over the Pacific Ocean on Sunday. The dramatic ordeal afflicted passengers of QF-94 from Los Angeles to Melbourne is understood to have been caused by vortex or wake turbulence caused by another aircraft which took off just two minutes earlier. QF-94 passenger Janelle Wilson told the Australian the three-quarter full plane suddenly entered a freefall nosedive, a direct decline toward the ocean for about 10 seconds before they regained control of the vehicle, and that's pretty fucking scary shit. And our last, uh, is it last? No, it's not. I I guess we got two more. Uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit celebrates Flag Day by disrespecting the flag. They wore the flags and were laying on the flags. Yeah. Uncool. Uncool. Not cool at all. And our last one was brought on by the John Gotti documentary. If you haven't watched it, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't say it's fantastic, but it was pretty interesting watching these mobsters, especially the son. He thinks he's a really badass, and the way they talk, it's pretty funny. But um, Social clubs, modern mobs still use a few of the offices. And I researched it because I wondered, hey, is there still mobs out there? And lo and behold, there are mobs, and they still go to these social clubs. And this New York Times article literally showed a couple where mafia leader Frank DeSico was killed. And they still use officers. It's kind of like uh, offices. It's kind of like Sopranos. It's still being used. So as we go out to our liner fair, brought to you by Matt in Oregon... I found this, and I think it's perfect. Once again, it's a perfect soundbite. I had another one that I'm going to use the next one. It was it was from um, Prater, who has uh, the gender thing. and gets an argument with a woman who's all into this gender shit. But it's like 60 minutes, so i got to edit it down to something that's usable for the sound uh, soundbite. But alongside it was this one, which is Student Blast Supreme Court ruling on wedding cake but when the person asks him questions about other things we see that 
Well, it's okay for people to ban mega fucks. I mean, seriously. They're mega fucks. So, a Supreme Court case yesterday ruled that a baker in Colorado did not have to provide a cake for a gay wedding because of his religious uh, beliefs and preferences. Do you agree or disagree with that ruling? I think he should have to bake the cake because it's his job. The fact that our Supreme Court found that this was an okay thing, I find appalling. But if his job is to bake a cake for a wedding, yeah. even if he doesn't agree with it, he should still have to bake a cake for that wedding. Do you think that he should be forced to bake a cake for a gay wedding? Um, I definitely think so. People have a right to eat the cake that they want to eat. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he should have to. He should have to bake the cake because it's his job. <laughs> like, he's a baker. I think that he should definitely make the cake for them. If there were an African-American baker and mm -hmm. someone came in and asked them to make a cake for a KKK rally, should they be forced to do it? I, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> but they're a baker, it's their job, right? Um, well, yeah, no. I mean, like, uh, they shouldn't, but, like, I guess that kind of just, like, contradicts what I just said. Uh, but yeah. Um, I'm not sure on that subject. What would be the difference? Um, um, mm, no, because the KKK is directly hating them as a person meanwhile gay people aren't hating the baker for being a baker mixing it up how about should a a jewish baker have to make a cake for a palestinian wedding <laughs> it gets Wait. more complicated like that i guess but i, I i'm unsure i would say okay. i don't know I, I mean, once again, we are in America, and if you're going to open a shop, you have to be willing to accept all customers that are going to walk into that shop. As for his religion, I think that his ability to exercise his freedom of religion ends when that um, encroaches on another person's ability to be who they are. Okay. Yeah, it's like morally wrong not to bake the cake, but like it's honestly like his say since it is his business. Uh, well, while I think it's wrong of him to discriminate, I do think it's within his rights to deny service. Well, I'd be a little bit upset, but I can't really hold it against the baker. I mean, it's his choice. I don't call it discrimination, but I'm not going to force someone to go against what they believe. I think if it's a private, like, business, it's his choice. Okay. Like, he does then have to understand that it will affect his profits because other people will be like, hey, that's not okay. But if it is his business, then it's his choice. I think uh, the way they ruled is correct in this case because if I, when I looked at it, um, I believe the people who asked him to bake the cake were actually harassing him on the basis of his religion. So before we play Matt's fantastic soundbite, I I think it's good to frame how crazy we are on this subject. Planned Parenthood in action this this very week. Planned Parenthood is saving people's lives. We want to receive meaningful care. We need to know we need to feel welcome when we can't come in the door. Senator Camille Harris, somebody said, Momo did, you misspelled taking. You're not saving, you're taking. And this week, ACLU gives former Planned Parenthood CEO Cecile Richard a Lifetime Achievement Award 
you belong here. Flor- former PPFA President Cecil Richard, the woman who spent a career stripping the civil rights of unborn children straight from their mother's womb, received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Civil Liberties Union, speaking at the ACLU You Belong Here conference. Richard accepted her award by lamenting how politicians have failed to lead America. Leadership in America is coming from high school students, from dreamers, from teachers, teachers striking on behalf of their students all across the country. Teachers striking on behalf, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Leadership is coming from everyone who's fighting for a country where we lift everyone up and no one falls through the cracks and you believe... You better believe leadership is coming from millions of women in this country, the most potent political force in America. In March, the former abortion queen also received an award from New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who called her a national champion, a natural role model. Most recently, she castigated all pro-lifers at those who lie, cheat, steal, deceive, and break the law. She said this knowing fully well that the Me Too kingpin Harvey Weinstein donated to her organization and even attended the gala celebrating Planned Parenthood's 100-year anniversary. Roughly 3.5 million unborn children were killed under Cecil Richard. Watch while it's CEO of Planned Parenthood. And that's just the operation abortions. Not the Plan B abortions which you can add probably another 8, 10 million on top of that. At least. And she's how we get this following soundbite. Her watch has made it that if you don't believe in aborting a baby when it's a fucking toddler, you're a fucking bigot. It's made to be comedic, but the message is brutal on where we've end up as a society because of this fucking ghoul. Why you should continue to fund Planned Parenthood and why the only people who don't want their money funding us are anti-woman or crazy religious nuts. I'm pro-choice, but Planned Parenthood profits 90 million on their own. I don't think they need my tax money. What a bigot! Planned Parenthood is a wholesome organization which no pro-choice person or non-right-winger could ever take issue with. Look, we provide mammograms. Mammograms may not be available at overwhelming majority of clinics. Planned Parenthood was founded by all-American hero Margaret Sanger. Some woman-hating radicals may point out that she was a eugenicist who literally wanted to wipe black people off of the face of the planet and founded Planned Parenthood for the purposes of racial hygiene. But these people are obviously misogynist. And yes, to this day, Planned Parenthood may abort and sterilize black at a disproportionately higher rate than whites, but that's just because of economic circumstances. Take our word for it. Cops may shoot blacks at a higher rate than whites, but that's because blacks tend to live in low-income, crime-heavy areas. It's not hatred or oppression, it's just logistics and economics. What a terrible excuse made by a bigot. I may abort blacks at a higher rate than whites, but that's because they tend to live in low-income, crime-heavy areas. It's not hatred or oppression, it's just logistics and economics. Wow, what a great point. It's clear to see that an organization founded with the intention of sterilizing everyone who wasn't rich or white surely deserves 540 million tax dollars a year. Only anti-feminist woman haters would disagree. I'm ethically opposed to abortion, and I don't think I should be forced to fund a facility which provides it. You fool, abortion only makes up 3% of Planned Parenthood services. How do we keep this number so low? This is Sally. Like one-eighth of women who enter a Planned Parenthood facility, Sally's here for an abortion. But first, we're going to give her a pregnancy test just to double-check. That counts as a service. Now only half of what she's here for is an abortion. 
and we'll give her one of our condoms and a Plan B pill. Look, two more services. Yes, abortion makes up 37% of our total revenue. But technically, only one-fourth of what Sally came to us for was the abortion itself. Only 25% of the abortions we provide are abortions. I'm sure you've also heard that we were caught on camera selling, uh, donating fetal tissue. But those videos were edited. And even though by edited, I mean cut down for length, because each video was several hours long, and even though the full videos are available online for anyone to watch, we're still sticking with the story that the camera was lying and that we're telling the truth. Yes, our representatives may have been haggling over the price and calling the recouping of costs price negotiation, but really, we weren't selling the parts, we were just giving them away. For money. Only crazy loony right-wing religious nuts take issue with this. There's no way an atheist, libertarian, or moderate liberal would ever see this as anything but normal behavior. Are we phased by this recent video evidence? Of course not. Planned Parenthood has a long history of cameras telling lies about us. Like when at several facilities, hidden cameras captured our employees serving a pimp advice on how to cover up his sexual abuse of a 13-year-old girl. Naturally, the only people who believe these lies were woman haters and religious nuts. But don't be surprised. These are the same credulous fools who consistently believe the lies told by 3D ultrasounds. So remember, if anyone from any end of the political spectrum, pro-life or pro-choice, questions anything we do or have done, and if anyone dares suggest an independently wealthy company doesn't need 540 million tax dollars a year, it's just because they're a racist, sexist, homophobic, anti-woman, anti-science, religious, zealot bigot. Planned Parenthood is a government-funded organization. Therefore, whenever we get caught doing anything terrible, it's never about the evil thing we were doing. It's always about attacking the people who caught us doing it. It perfectly sums up how crazy our media and society has become because that little cartoon is spot on. What they've been caught doing and that we still give them $550 million when they make 1.5 billion in profits a year are you fucking shitting me so thanks to bro in oregon matt great soundbite and it's a good way to end this show so this wraps up another episode of flyover politic podcast please feel free to share with your family and friends and send comments by emailing f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com fop podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast addict tune in radio google play itunes blueberry and stitcher remember to check out the flyover politic webpage at f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t.com fop podcast.com it's a theme to see links to feeds from the show links to our facebook page and to email us there you'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and i'm not even going to talk about my blog page because goddamn it i haven't blogged for fucking ever so the wife is on vacation thus us moving it up four days and it being a very long podcast i apologize but there's a lot of information i'm going to try to get one out next week so i'm not going to give you a date it'll be sometime during next week when she goes to painting I'll go to podcasting. So I'm going to keep pulling in files, especially on this IG report, because the spin will be what we'll be reporting next week. Um, a lot of spins going to come up. But just remember the key points. They fucking lied. Everything was a hoax. It was a sham. And from Obama, Obama's desk, this all came from. So that shows that once again, to me, this Russia investigation is just cover. And now that it's out, what are we going to do as a country? Very important, because you should take off your partisan hat. If this was about conservatives doing this, this humble podcaster would be no less angry about it. 
I mean, it's pretty fucked up. We have laws, and the President of the United States is supposed to enforce those laws. And if we're not enforcing those laws because of politics, we're no different than the fucking Politburo in Russia. And that's pretty fucked up. So enjoy your weekend. I hope it's a good one. Stay cool. It's hot as fucking balls down here in Tennessee way. And I'll look forward to talking to you sometime next week. Uh, I'll get one out once again when I get a quick pause from whatever the honeydew list is. Want to give a quick shout out to all those new listeners. Got a new bunch of new followers and, and listens have gone off the roof. So as always, I thank you all for listening and you take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Cause I feel the same I'm wide open